The following is a KPV Media Works production. Choose your fighter. Welcome to another episode of KPB Cast, guys. Raphael here is back with you, and what, who we have right now is uh, Shock, return guest. Really appreciate it, Shock. Thank you for your time. <laughs> What's up, guys? You know what? Since you did that, let's talk about that for a little <laughs> bit. I mean, you I know you love The Undertaker. A lot of people love The Undertaker. I mean, the guy's Absolutely. finally retired. He's making the regular mainstream waves, I guess. But, yeah. like, when he finally hung it up, finally, I mean, give us your thoughts. Because you're as big as Undertaker fan that I know of. I mean, since day one, uh, I feel that he is finally in a place where he's, like, content with his career. But he also has enough time that he can enjoy life post-wrestling. So it's this perfect sweet spot. Because if he went any further, he probably... He probably would have gotten hurt to the point where he wouldn't be able to enjoy life. And that's a, like someone like Edge is another one. Very, very risky. Um, so I feel happy for him having the background in wrestling, understanding how much like I want to get back in the ring all the time. But I know it's absolutely stupid. Um, he probably still wants to do it. That's another factor. Um, but overall, you couldn't ask for more out of a out of a character out of a career um it's i mean it's it's a I, I wouldn't say he had a fitting end but he had a unique end which is something that you would expect for him it was completely atypical was i happy with that no I, I would have rather have seen him have like a big match with aj styles to go out or maybe even if they decided to do one more survivor series with like uh i don't know like drew mcintyre or something like that would have been good um but you know what He's going to do it the way he wants. If he wants to come back, though, he'll do it. <laughs> and I think they really missed the boat. They, I, I'm pretty sure you will agree with me with this, but Sting versus Undertaker a few years mm. ago would have probably been his best, like, you know, final retirement match. You have the icon well, Sting, and then you have the Phenom. I mean, those two yeah. characters. I mean, you, you know, Sting personifies WCW. Taker personified WWE WWF. It really would have been, you know, the yeah. best end, in my opinion. Well, I think it would have been for Sting specifically. I think that Sting should have just done that match and that match only and retired. And he probably would have been happy with that because it's the only thing he wanted. And they gave him the runaround. They didn't want to do that match. It's very, very clear that they absolutely had no desire to put that out there. Don't know if maybe Taker didn't want to do it. Uh, I know that there the conversation was there. Uh, I don't know. It would have had to have been done, I mean, by 2015 or so. Because after that was Taker, just he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't do what he could do anymore at that point. And even people would say probably after 2010. Um, yeah, I don't know. Things kind of in purgatory right now, though. So... I really don't know what uh, – I, I was never a Sting fan, we'll say. Really? Um, no, I just I was never a WCW fan. I watched it. I had friends who watched it. Um, but I don't know. It, he, he never did anything for me. Um, well, you say you weren't a WCW fan, but uh, you, you were knee-deep into the Monday Night Wars, weren't you? 
Absolutely. Yeah. But I made the I was, prediction if that's that, the case, then your attention was more towards WWF, right? Uh, I mean, I, I knew what was going on on both shows, but I, I didn't, like, go out of my way to, like, watch WCW. And also, I should point out that I started getting into the business during the, like, right at the, the top, I guess you could say, of the, the ratings wars. It was, like, 97. Height, yeah. yeah, at the height of the, the ratings wars. So it was, like, 97 was when I got in, 98. Um, I stopped watching wrestling actively at that point. Like, I was still like setting my VCR in case I missed it. Like it was, I just used the word VCR. If anybody doesn't know what that is. <laughs> um, but uh, never WCW it was to me, it was absolutely just a not an entertaining product at all. Um, and I made the prediction right around that time that Vince would buy WCW. I think I said by like 2000, it was 2001 everybody thought I was crazy. They were like, what are you talking about? They just, WCW's won the last 40 or 50 weeks of ratings. And I'm like, doesn't matter. Like, you look at those arenas, they're not full. Uh, they're, they can't, they can't fill, you know, 20,000 on a regular basis. Like they could with, I mean, Austin was putting the biggest house shows ever. I believe at the time, house shows like non-televised house shows were, were beating WCW. That to me was all that mattered. TV deals do matter. Like right now, uh, Vince has got ridiculous TV deal going. He's going to make even more with this NBC deal. Oh, the Peacock deal. Yeah. I but believe he not... inked a $1 billion deal with that. Jeez. Over like 10 years or something like that. Yeah. So that's an insane amount of money and no motivation to make a better product. They did get in a little bit of heat with, um, who was who it, Fox that they just did? Well, Fox uh, has a SmackDown. I know that. Yeah, and supposedly Fox wasn't happy with him. See, this is this is where it starts to get foggy because I don't really know everything that's going on right now. But uh, from what I heard, like they they started asking for like like nostalgia, basically, and I guess break the PG thirteen or PG like break into PG thirteen at the very right, least. Right. Um. Like they don't they don't know what their product is anymore. You can clearly see that. Um. Back in the day where you could do anything you want and you'd have to elevate every single week to keep the interest and then having these astronomical TV ratings, um, I didn't see WCW being able to continue no matter how much money they poured into that company. It they was, really it was just unsustainable. Absolutely unsustainable. There so, go, and I watched the whole thing. I mean, I watched NWA in the 80s it, like when I could. I mostly would have to get that on tape. Um, <laughs> you know, some other companies here and there that had some got managed to get into the TV market in this area because usually it's regional. But like, for example, here we had MSG. MSG aired ECW for yes, the majority. Was that? Yes, they did. I remember yes. watching ECW television on MSG. Yep. And they had other wrestling programs, too, which is you would have to like look in the TV guide and, and see when things were on because nobody knew. And it was like, oh, my God, there's some random wrestling company on like just this week. They had they had like a block for wrestling, I think, on MSG, and then they could put whatever was available. That's at least how it seemed to me. Uh, and then ECW became the mainstay in like the mid-90s. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Where were we uh, – where, where do we get off into this from? It was the uh, – <laughs> For your love for the Soma. Undertaker. Actually, oh, you so know what? Let's finish that off that with guy. The Undertaker real quick. Yeah. Greatest wrestling character of all time? 
No, hands down. I mean, there's diff- different characters that other people like for whatever reasons they prefer, but he's withstood the test of time. I mean, nobody else is no, – nobody wants to see anybody from 30 years ago. I mean, who? Who's that? who's there that somebody's like, oh, man, I wish this guy would come back. Uh, they're all dead, so they're not, <laughs> they're not coming back. All yeah, the good nobody's, ones uh, nobody's craving for the Red Rooster to return. No, but does he still have a job? That's what's important. He probably does. I believe he's still employed by somebody who's paying Terry Taylor too much money. We'll see that. We'll see that. <laughs> Let's get into you, man. Like, listen, I know you've talked to me a lot about your wrestling career, and you said to yourself around 1997, 1998 is when you started transferring yourself into the business. Yes. We have a lot of wrestling fans in the FGC. I don't know how many of them know that you had an independent wrestling career. Are all the stories true? When you go to a training school, you know, they just put you through hell to try to, you know, let, let, let's try to see who actually has the balls to come back the next day or next week. Um, yeah, to, to one degree or another. Uh, the wrestling school that I went to was extremely lax from what most people would think a standard would be for a wrestling school. It was run by Iron Mike Sharp, who was a big name in Canada in the 70s and the 80s. And then Vince brought him in. And he, they had some aspirations to to make him into something. And then all of a sudden they were just like, nope, this is just a job guy. Could have something to do with the fact that he did use the word steroids on television. Uh, <laughs> that was probably not a good look. Uh, that was right around the time when they started making him a job guy. But he eventually opened a wrestling school. I want to say it was the early 90s uh, in Brick, New Jersey. Now, I never went to that school. I was way too young. I've only been like 11 when that happened. But some would say still too young. When I was 16, uh, I went to Asbury Park, which is where the school was at that time. Uh, and actually getting just getting to the point where you would even understand that you have to go to a wrestling school or should go to a wrestling school. Remember back then it was very, very different. Um, wrestling schools were run by mostly shady people. That's really like what it was. It's people looking to steal money from people who will never make it in the business, getting like thousands of dollars and then they weed them out and then they come back maybe. And if they don't, whatever, uh, for me, I started giving tapes to local promoters when I was like 15 because we did this backyard wrestling for years before that. I mean, my, my friends and I, and I, I was like booking like any kid that we could find who was like <laughs> had any any desire to, to get into wrestling from, you know, early teens. Uh, and uh, eventually a promoter got back to me and told me about Iron Mike's. And uh, I think he. I don't know if he just if he didn't know what days it was open, but I remember he told us the wrong day. Like he said, like it was a Tuesday, Tuesdays and Fridays, but it was really Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, so we went there and there was nothing going on. So we were like upset, like we didn't know. It was me and like a few of my friends. Uh, so I called the guy back and we sussed it out and figured out it was actually Mondays. Uh, so we went and I mean. Just the idea that, like, a group of teenage kids could, like, walk into a wrestling school and get into the ring that night seems pretty crazy today. I don't <laughs> like, I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if you know, but it's dangerous. Um, 
So well, the majority of people who actually attend um, wrestling schools now is like people who graduated high school, maybe some college athletes, like you said, you know, yeah. uh, kids nowadays, 15, 16. And, you know, I've heard uh, Candido and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, rest in peace to those guys. You know, I've yes. heard their stories. I did, these guys started doing that like around 12 or 13. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they would trek them. I mean, they're from Jersey, and Jersey's very big on wrestling schools. Yeah. So they would basically trek anywhere that would actually, you know, pick them up to train mm-hmm. them. But like you said, yeah. that's that's unheard but, of but today. To find, like, yeah, to find, like, a legit wrestling school that has, like, a real, like, system of, like, you know, uh, vetting people, like, who, who really should be in the ring and shouldn't. That That's, I mean, that's what you should be looking for. Um. See, now back then, even then, uh, I was hearing, like, prices of, like, oh, up to, like, $3,000 down. Like, you would have to pay the, 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 the owner that much money literally just to get into the building. Uh, and obviously that was, you know, for a 16-year-old not happening. Um, but just to mind, get in the building, not to get just, trained or anything, just nope, to be there. Nope, you don't even get in the ring for that. You literally get, like you know beaten up on the floor uh like you don't get to like literally touch or run the ropes on on some of these like very very serious and and for the right reasons like legitimate schools uh and of course that doesn't i don't know if that i don't know if that happens today because i don't i haven't been to a wrestling school in probably 15 years um but um you know it's it's just an interesting uh sort of uh proving ground for I guess not like necessarily like tough guys, but like it's does this person understand like what they are getting into and will they make this business better Uh, or, you know, have something to give that will make people want to come back to see like a a show because an individual wrestler can ruin an entire show. So it should they shouldn't have training. They should they should know, you know, this is not just like you just hopping into the ring and doing whatever you want doesn't work like that um but as a kid like that's something that you don't really even consider like it's it's learning that as an adult is probably a lot easier than somebody who hasn't graduated high school um you know because you have like work experience too like i i got into a wrestling room before i I think before i had a job i think i got a job the same month that i that i actually started training if i remember correctly because it would have been yeah it would have been like august of 97 um did you um Did you uh, you say you were 15 at the time? Did you do any amateur wrestling in the school level? No. No. So I, you I, were I, completely I, raw. This is only backyard wrestling experience. Yep. Yep, just my like natural athletic ability mixed with like just observing wrestling for, you know, 10 plus years at a time. You know, really just like again, like bring up like somebody like the Undertaker like mechanically he's not the best for someone who's smaller or like I was at the time smaller because he, he has to do things in a certain way, but like maybe somebody more like a Shawn Michaels uh, or Bret Hart, who's still, you know, they're still not small individuals, but they're smaller. Um, the way they move in the ring, what they do to um, hit the ropes, you know, how they pick people up, things like that are like, they're key to wrestling. Not always super important. If you're a bigger guy, you don't got to hit the ropes too much. If you're a smaller guy, you don't got to pick people up too much. But you should have some kind of a well-rounded, you know, presentation when you start. Um, well, but when that's kind of um, like – I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Oh no, I was gonna say that's that's kind of like what I had to go in with, uh, and you know, you get you get beat up. We mentioned that, um, but when you really like again, Iron Mike was kind of just there, like he wasn't really getting in the ring. So it was like mostly guys that were in the school for a little while who were training the newer people. If they didn't like you, you got treated a certain way, you know. So you had to find somebody who's like willing to really show you because uh, again, it was not an orthodox style of wrestling training. As I would say, like we didn't, we did, we did drills uh, for like maybe like specific spots, like, like drop downs and hip tosses and arm drags, basic stuff. But we didn't do things like run the ropes for a half hour, you know, like that's what they do. And, you know, in wrestling schools, I'm pretty sure they still do that stuff today, but when you're talking like a local wrestling school versus say the performance center for WWE, you're actually going in there and like, you're getting like paid almost to become a wrestler versus like having to trek around, you know, you're at the very least your local area uh, when you're very early on, not making any money. So there's like a different mindset for um, I think a lot of the newer guys, um, maybe they would like to have experienced that kind of stuff. So for me, even still, we didn't really have the territories even then territories were very big uh, up until the early nineties, I would say. Right. Uh, so that can actually supplement your training, being able to go to these different areas to get work. Cause there was just work everywhere. I'm sure there was still work like per se, but um, you also have to look at like different states of different laws. Like for example, I couldn't have been a wrestler. I think like a month or so before I broke in because they changed the laws in New Jersey, uh, they deregulated wrestling. They, so they declared it wasn't a sport. It was a performing art, I guess. I don't know if they use that language exactly. So it wouldn't have mattered. And actually, it's funny because when we first went there, it was only like $100 down, which is like nuts. Um, I remember <laughs> he, Mike was hesitant to bring us in at first. <laughs> but then the next week, we came back with the $100 down payments. And all of a sudden, the waiver popped out. And he's like, here you go. Get your parents to sign. And like that was it. And I was like... You were in. That couldn't happen literally a month before. You would have had to be 18. You would have had to have, like, drug tests, blood tests. Uh, you'd have to get a wrestler's license, all things like that. I didn't know anything of the sort was a thing. Again, remember, I'm 16. It's the furthest thing from my mind is that there would be something that could say, you can't be a wrestler because you're not old enough. Right. Like, I just didn't, you know, didn't, you know, didn't have any inkling of that. So uh, I kind of, like, landed there perfectly, which is, you know, a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of luck, I guess you could say. But when you found uh, out about that, was that when uh, kayfabe died for you? No, I kayfabe to me. I mean, if I didn't know the term, um, I knew what kayfabe was when I was like ten. That's that's the thing is a lot of people don't realize that. I think most people who get who want to get into wrestling know what wrestling is before like they're an adult. So it's like I just want to do this. I want to like be a performer. I want to. Um, be entertaining and make a connection. It's sort of like getting into music. I, I think some people would understand that it's there's a big, big comparison to the lifestyle. At least back then. Again, I don't. I don't think it's. <laughs> I don't think it's anything like that today. But um, yeah. Well, now you're 16. You oh, excuse me, 15. You got you and your buddies. You trekked it to that school, and like you said, you had to come back with a hundred dollar the waiver. Hey, get yeah. all this, get all that. How does your first real day of training go? Is it the uh, nightmare so, that everybody says it is? 
no it it was funny because like we kind of like walked in in the middle of um i don't know what you would call it exactly the way this like structure was again like i said it's very lax so like you would just have like 10 guys would be at the school and then you'd have two guys in the ring and eight guys in, in the corners and everybody would tag out and just like kind of you know, uh, what would you call like a round robin almost uh, until basically everybody got to work, everybody. And then you would start coming up with finishes to get people out and whittle it down. So we kind of like walked into the middle of that uh, and we were just like <laughs> we, we literally just like got in and like joined. Like, I don't know. How, I don't know it was so silly. Like, I don't know how to <laughs> describe it. Like, you don't it, to me, that does not seem logical. You would not let a full grown adult just get into the ring and train like as if they're like part of it like there was no briefing there was nothing it was like literally like what are these kids instincts and let's see if they can do anything uh and uh i remember like because my mother was with me wasn't couldn't drive yet um so I was 16 and uh oh boy she did not in any way want me doing this and it took so 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 much convincing and also, my grandmother was very, very supportive of it because uh, she helped help us out with the backyard wrestling and let us build a, a little <laughs> makeshift awesome. ring on the side of her house. And uh, she was super supportive of it. She, I think, was really what finally convinced my mother to let me do it. And uh, we get there, we sit down, and there's this this one guy in the ring who is a local indie guy. He, he was in ECW at some point. Um, and uh, my mother starts asking him questions. And he's just like rugged, like tatted up guy, and he's like kind of beat up already. And uh, like, yeah, it's like I, uh, I, you know, it's not too bad. You know, I broke my neck once, but uh, and then like my mother was just like, "Oh my god, we're leaving!" And I was like, "No!" I was like, "No, we're here!" Like we, we just drove forty minutes to you know Asbury. I want to see what this is all about. And um, so I literally like got in the ring, and. I did like a quick spot with one guy, like just kind of like calling stuff again. Like, it seems like kind of like surreal like to just kind of do this. And, and uh, like, I don't know, like I like body slammed the guy and gave him a standing moonsault. I just want to show off because a kid. Right. Uh, and, uh, and he just took the pin. Like he just took the pin. Like he didn't even kick out. Like, it's just very strange. Like he, like he didn't, you know, he's like, all right, whatever, you know, it's cool. Um, and I don't really remember much after that because I think I might have like tagged out and then it, I think it like quickly like dissolved because that would just happen. Like, you know, guys would just like kind of, you know, all right, I'm going to like take a seat or something like that. So like I was saying, we might have been we might have gotten there close to like the end of the night or something like that because we didn't know what time. Um, but um, yeah, but that's from what I remember um, pretty much how my first night went. I have footage of like maybe like the second or third time. I was there, but I didn't get to go back for a while because my mother wouldn't let me go back. It took about a month after that, and, and my three best friends at the time were going every week, twice a week, and they only got to see me that one night. And then some guys who were on TV started showing up, uh, like um, Ace Darling was starting to do some stuff. I don't know if you remember Ace. I, I'm uh, familiar with the name. Yeah, he used to do matches with like Crowbar when Crowbar was Devin Storm. Yes. Um. And then, like, the Supernova and the Meanie, like, the BWO guys oh, were, course, like, showing yeah. up. Great, and, great uh, characters. Doing, yep. Doing, like, little, um, I, like, spot like spot sessions, I guess you would say. Like, they, they just would show up unannounced and just kind of help out for the night. Um, 
but I was like missing all this because I wasn't allowed to go back. So finally, like again, you know, figured out how I could get there and get back. And one of like my mother's friends was like driving me there for a little bit. And uh, then we started getting our licenses. Cause one of the guys was like a year older than us. So he got his license, like, I think uh, that summer. So then he started driving us uh, and then things kind of like settled out. And the first night that I really got to train, like where I actually went there and there were guys that were like doing drills and like, um, like evaluating, there was like a, a young promoter there at the time uh, and just kind of observing. And then the guys that were already there knew them, but I didn't, they knew them for like a month. And they kept telling like, oh, you know, our other friend, he's eventually going to come here. He's like, you know, you guys got to see him and he's really good. And, uh, and I went there and I got booked for a show, my first real night of training for wrestling school. And again, like, I think that's like nuts because like, there's, there's no way, like, obviously like promoters want to like sell tickets and make money, but like, they didn't even ask me to sell tickets. Uh, but then like when I got there, I didn't have a match. I was just in a battle Royal. So this is like, oh. Okay. Before we get into that, um, before your training or during your training, did you help out? Um, did you help out um, putting up the ring, putting up chairs, yeah. things that we hear that everybody does, you know, to uh, to gain respect from everybody? Yeah. Um, it's funny because like some shows just have like a guy who brings the ring and he has a crew with him and they do it. Uh, and if you're lucky and then the, the ring will be up like well before like a, a reasonable time. If, if you have access to the building, it's kind of like running a tournament and you get set up the night before you don't want to really be doing any, anything, you know, the day of, but for wrestling, you got to wait till the day of. Uh, but yeah, there, there were people who didn't definitely didn't want to do that. Um, then you know those people typically you know don't get you know they don't get very far uh unless they know somebody so but um yeah no i put up my fair share of rings um and also during your were... training i'm sorry you mentioned a few names but i mean the northeast was uh even during 97 with everything that's going on you had ecw going there was a lot of independent shows here as they like to be called very, uh, outlaw very shows I mean, what other some uh, some other names that appeared on television that you you ran into? Uh, I, again, school, I know Jersey has a lot of guys: Bundy, Candido, Bigelow, who's uh, from Asbury Park. I met Bigelow once. Um, he supposedly he showed up to Iron Mike's from time to time, but like I, I wasn't there every single day for every like it was open twice a week, so like there'd be some weeks where I wouldn't maybe wouldn't go or I would only go once. Uh, but then they're like, oh, man, Bigelow was here last week, you know, and be like, like, ah, oh, shit, you know, I missed him. But uh, I did meet him. It was very strange. Um, we were doing a show at the convention hall in Asbury Park for a, co- a small company that I was working for at the time. And uh, I was just like outside, like it's on the beach, the, the building. I was just outside, like walking around. I, I, I like turned the corner and I see this huge guy, like, like a silhouette of this huge guy, like in the distance. And he's walking towards me and I'm walking towards him. And it's Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> he wasn't on the show or anything. He just heard there was a show in the area. And I guess he came to check it out. And he, he kind of knew the promoter, I guess. Um, but, you know, I got to, you know, introduce myself to him uh, in a like a very private sort of setting. It wasn't just like he walked into the locker room and everybody's like, oh, everybody's got to get in line, shake Bam Bam Bigelow's hand. But, um, but that was the only time I ever met him. Um, uh, Chris Candido 
I was supposed to wrestle Chris Candido in 2005, like like literally like a month or so before he passed. Um, there was another small promotion. I was the heavyweight champion for, and it was my second show with them. Uh, and I was supposed to wrestle him for the title, but he had another booking that night for another promotion in the area. Uh, and he had like a match with like Dusty Rhodes or something like that. I don't know if Dusty was actually in the match, but he might've been like with the other guy that he was wrestling that night. So he had to leave mid show. So we had to change the card and I wound up wrestling a different guy that night who wrestled him in the middle of the show as a qualifier to wrestle me for the title. Uh, I, I wish I could have gotten to, to work with him. Um, but, um, was it in the cards? It's unfortunate, but um, but yeah, yeah he, it really he was, was unfortunate, man. He he was awesome. I always loved him as a wrestler. Oh man, he he was like inspiration because we're like, I mean, he's obviously massively like built, but we're like roughly the same size, so like a lot of influence from him for me, like right on that cusp because he started really getting popular right when I was like, okay, I'm like itching to like get in, um, especially with like his ECW run, um. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was cool, you know, it was cool just to, to meet him and stuff, you know, but um, there was, uh, there's so many guys that I met over the years. It's funny because, like I said, I didn't do a ton of matches, but there was so much of like a revolving door of guys coming in and out of these promotions because especially during the Attitude Era, which is when I came in, there was a lot of work and there was a lot of reason to have people. And actually at the time I was working for NWA in the late 90s. Um, they were doing a, a like a, a program with WWF at the time, yes. Uh, to have their TV guys do NWA shows, which is something else they would do for like Ohio Valley when they were training guys out there. When that was kind of like what NXT is now. Yeah. Um, and, also with um, uh, Smoky Mountain res- uh, wrestling, right? Just to bring that up, Smoky Mountain, they would send people down there. Um, so NWA, I, I don't know if in general or if it was the guy that was running at the time of the two guys, but uh, Dennis Corluzzo, who is a major, major name in indie territory wrestling going back forever. Uh, he was running at the time. And I'm, I would assume that he was part of the reason why they had that deal going on. But I mean, you, you don't get to, you know, you don't get privy to that information when you're a kid on the show that they don't <laughs> want on the show to begin with, uh, which I found out the hard way. By the but, way, uh, just uh, with Candido. I know people go nuts when they see the Canadian Destroyer, but I had that reaction when I first saw the blonde bombshell. It's like a freaking super bomb. bomb. Oh, my God. I freaking you know, was like, I, what the hell? I, I had I was, a couple weeks ago I was watching some ECW on the network with one of my best friends, and we're up to the part where Candido came back, and he had, he gives the blonde bomb to Mikey Whipwreck, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, the ragdoll? Like, even to this day, it's 25 years later. I'm like, I can't believe that, I mean, it's it's so unsafe. It is just absolutely unsafe. Like, even Dude, sh- when like I seen that, I honestly <laughs> thought because I think I saw it when he um his match against Lance Storm. I I honestly mm-hmm. thought Lance Storm was dead. It's like because I've never <laughs> seen a, a a super bomb off the top top no. rope. No, it, it's, <laughs> it's like is he is he dead? I mean, I, it, I like mean, you said, that's I'm yeah. not no worker, but I knew that was ridiculously yeah. unsafe. No, both people have to be coordinated yeah yeah to, to pull that off because of the balance even a regular power bomb like i would say like maybe a quarter of all wrestlers can actually 
like maybe even less, but like it's <laughs> you see a lot of bad power bombs. Hey, man, can you pick up? Uh, can you put that up real quick? What's can you that? Pick up the the blonde uh, bomb show oh, on man, YouTube or now? I should have prepped some clips from my <laughs> stuff. For you guys. Hey, listen, man, uh, let's go back a little bit. Now that, you know, you said your first match was a real Royal Rumble for an independent about, show. Yeah, Battle Royal. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, a Battle Royal. Uh, yep. You know, you're coming from the backyard wrestling. Now you're actually an independent show. What's going through your mind? Don't get hurt. And mostly because, <laughs> because if I got hurt, then my mother wouldn't let me go back. <laughs> and what happened? I got hurt. <laughs> you know, so, I had, uh, I, I've heard yeah. that, that that actually happens a lot with Battle Royals because there's so many people yeah. in the ring. I'm assuming that's how you got hurt, that maybe yeah, you tripped girl, over somebody. Girl Monsoon always used to say, you can get maimed in a Royal Rumble or a Battle Royal. And he's, <laughs> he's right. Um, so it wasn't anything serious. But um, so uh, I was eliminated by one of the guys from the wrestling school who was friends with and tagged with the promoter. I guess he was like a booker um, at the time. Again, all very young. Like, I, I think he, they, they were like maybe 20 literally like 20 <laughs> and running wrestling shows. So that tells you right there. Um, so he eliminates me and my, my best friend at the time in the business. And uh, we did this spot where I gave him for no reason, a hurricanrana off the ring apron to the floor. It was just showing off. We're just dumb kids like, Oh cool. We can do whatever we want. We're out. You know, and we're just, you know, so uh, I did the hurricanrana again. I was small at the time. I was like, a buck 75 i was very i mean i'm 240 right now and i'm actually kind of light for me right now um so i did the hurricanrana but i wasn't wearing like wrestling boots i had those stupid scholastic like asics you remember those <laughs> yes, they're do. so small and also like being short to begin with they have no heel on them so i'm just like no they don't you know so they have no protection um and when i did it i did it just like i would do it in the ring I just was like, oh, you know, just going to do it. And I smashed my foot on the floor. Oh. Uh, and, uh, and I could, I had to take a couple of days off of work because I, I was working. I was, this was like December. So I just, it was already working for like a couple months. Think about that. I just, just started working uh, at a local uh, supermarket. Uh, I just had to call out. I was just like, uh, I was like, uh, I hurt my foot and uh, like I couldn't walk. It was bad. Not bad, bad, but like it was bad enough that like I could not like, Function, no, yeah, you couldn't put no weight on it, yeah. So, took a couple days off there, and then I just dealt with it after that. But that's that was my very first experience. Um, and I think I, I think I know a guy who may have that on tape. I should definitely, definitely well, you, try to get you hurting your foot, just the whole thing, the whole, the whole event because they used to record everything, and uh, the guy that was there. Uh, I have to. I I should I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I would love to see that because that's like one of those things. Like I do have so 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 much stuff. Like again, like even with the backyard wrestling, I have videos of me from like 1995. Uh, you know, just like <laughs> practicing stuff. Um. Well, this was your passion wrestling, and even though you messed up your foot, I'm pretty sure you said, "Nah, I'm still gonna fight through it." Because I know, oh, I know yeah. you wrestled for quite a while. Like, what's yeah. the furthest you've been out of New Jersey, or, or were you only really a New Jersey wrestler? Pennsylvania, because uh, Pennsylvania is another uh, state where you don't need a, a license. So, you get, like, if you 
Uh, see, it's funny because, like, I know there's definitely guys that don't have licenses that wrestle in New York, and I was always under the impression you needed one. But uh, I had some opportunities to wrestle in, like, New York and Connecticut, uh, Delaware. Um, but by the time it came around, I, I, I was only, like, wrestling, like, four times a year. I, I literally had my schedule was, uh, like, a Big E event wrestling match, like, almost back-to-back weekends for the whole year. So that was like eight weekends already. And then if I could squeeze in something else here and there, I would. Um, but um, <clears throat> yeah, the uh, like uh, furthest, yeah, it was like maybe like, I don't know, like three hours. Uh, not Nothing crazy. It was like three hours out into like Pennsylvania. It was, it was Nant- Nanticoke, Pennsylvania uh, for um, a guy named Tom Rumsby who was a longtime promoter in the area. Um, one of the guys that I used to work with, and this is like 2007, um, one of the guys I used to work with contacted me because they needed to fill a spot on a show. And at the time, I was taking a break because I, I had some, not injuries, but just like some things that I should, you know, take some time off for. Um, nothing, nothing, again, nothing serious. I've never had anything really serious with wrestling in, in general, but... Um, he called me up and I was like, dude, I haven't been in a ring in like almost two years. And he's just like, oh, okay. He's like, so <laughs> what's that mean? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I, I don't know. Like, dude, I'm like a ring rust or whatever, you know? And so I was like, all right. I was like, uh, I, I could pick up like a couple bookings for like battle Royals and stuff beforehand and maybe like knock some, some ring rust off. And I did that uh, down South for a company that was, I think owned by King Kong Bundy, but, run by another guy if i remember correctly um and uh yeah so then i was like all right let me uh can i pick who i can wrestle because that would make it easier for me if i ever bring them out there with me uh so i dragged the guy out to pennsylvania uh for a tiny tiny little show and like a nice big armory though the guy like owned the building so i guess didn't didn't cost him anything to run the shows um there was another show that day in like the town over uh, and they had like uh, like 700 people there. We had like 70 because <laughs> they had Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner was the, was the main oh, event for God. that. So, <laughs> big pump but, pump. You know, yeah. Why um, did you take two you know, years off? Just nagging, like not nagging injuries, but just like the um, the wear and tear, um, and uh, kind of just like losing interest. It was like kind of getting to me like already like huh. Eh. I'm like, is it is it still worth like trying to is it is it still worth trying to advance in this when I like see what what is required and I know I don't have it. I'm just kinda like hanging around, you know? And it's kinda like taking up space. Um yeah, just kinda like not didn't fall out of love with the business, but like just the idea of, of like I'm not doing what I should be doing to be worth being on a card is what was basically what, what I'm saying. So basically after that, I, I just did shows as favors until a local promoter. That was one of the first people I ever spoke to about getting into the business offered me to come, you know, work for his promotion for local shows, which to me was easy because I didn't really have to travel. Uh, and again, to say, to say that <laughs> for somebody who doesn't do this, you know, even once a month to think about that, it's like, I, is it worth it for me to go, you know, drive, you know, all over the region for no money and the possibility of hurting myself. No, just, 
just wasn't. But if there was a show in my county and the guy's like, hey, I need to fill the you know, I need to fill the card. Can you sell me some tickets? Yeah, of course I'll do that. <laughs> as long as I can physically do it, you know, until, you know, and then when I hit my thirties, I was just like, now I'm getting into the, you know, into the realm of, I need four months just to recover from one match. Cause I'm not active. You know, if right. I was wrestling all the time, you know, I could probably wrestle once a month and maybe it would, wouldn't be too dangerous. But then, you know, when you start getting up there and you're like, wow, it's like, uh, I, I like twisted my knee or like, you know, my shoulder or something like that. And it's just like, Oh God, like now I gotta, now I gotta make sure that I'm okay by the time the next show is going to be in my area. It just it does, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's the inverse ratio of like having all this work and getting hurt because you're doing it so much versus like not doing it enough to the point where you're keeping yourself, you know, cause you can work out and exercise and everything. You're still not ready for a wrestling match. It's, many people will tell you that this is not the same thing. Well, it's all mental. I mean, a lot of people, for whatever reason, don't think there's a lot of you need a lot of mental powers, you know, to mm-hmm. be in that business. Yep, yep. It's it's very surprising. You see people like getting like out of breath when they're like in tip top shape because they just don't they just don't realize like what pacing is. Uh, and you can have a guy who's like you know. 350 pounds who can go 25 minutes because the guy just he just knows what his body can do and you know it's again there's a lot of thought that's put into that um and then i got to that point where i was just like way too heavy you know just not just not able to do the the same level of um performance and again it's it's not a high level it's not a high level to begin with uh that to me was what i was like you know what i i probably should probably should call it a day uh and that was around like 30 i think it was like 32 mm-hmm. so like about seven but, years ago now yeah so even um before that two year sabbatical uh tell me what's it like what's it like you know what's the life of being in that business i'm sure you know after that original battle royal that you were first in you i'm pretty sure you started getting a little bit more opportunities you kept your training yeah. up but again what, yeah, what, well, what's it like I being was, inside that yeah. business? So again, like I only ever really got like a small taste of it because I was I was able to just do things at my leisure, which is not really a good thing. In it, it, I guess you could say for somebody who doesn't get it, it's not a good thing. Um, but I got it. Like I understood like the point of a of a wrestling match and to like help the other person in the match make them look good. If you see some of my early stuff, again, I'm not out of high school and these are like other local guys who are like you know, they they've been around for a little while. Again, they're older than than me. Um I need to be in there for a reason. Uh and while I didn't like being like a, a jobber, I guess you could say, um right. I understood even at the time, I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a rookie. I'm young. I, I don't look like a wrestler. That's very obvious. So it creates that like underdog mentality, sort of like a Mikey Whipwreck back in the day. Um, and that was very, very rare. Uh, you didn't really have that too much. But after I broke in, that did start to become more common. So I was no longer um, like a unique type of wrestler on a show and you started to see gradually over time these like younger guys who were barely trained and again i was saying i was barely trained because i i went to wrestling school for like four years like to even like think about that like i have more ring time at wrestling school than most 
indie guys have for like a 10 year career. Of course. Um, but I don't have, again, I don't have that many matches, so I don't really have that experience. Like some of my friends started getting into travel much later on. Like I have a friend who broke in with me. We were a tag team and he stopped within like a few years of us breaking in. But after that, um, he came back like right when we were like, eh, maybe not quite 30. I think it was like late twenties. And he had like a nice run for about four years, maybe a little more. Uh, and he started traveling, which to me was like stunning because he has a family, he has three kids. Uh, and he just decided I want to get back into this. And there was enough support for him to do it. Um, was it worth it? I doubt it, but he in that short span years afterwards got more of the real wrestling experience than I ever did. Because like I said, I, I always just did it at my leisure. I would say after like the first, like three years that I was in too. Um, Cause you kind of like realize you're like, this is just like, it's not possible for some people to do, but if you really want to just be a part of it, there's avenues to do that. So like, I'm not like the best person to ask like what the life of a wrestler is. I was very, very much to myself. Um, I saw like behavior from other people. It wasn't too bad. Um, but um, I just never got, never got into that. What you would think like the typical, you know, like if you watch like um, the wrestler or like even like, honestly, like a lot of these shoot interviews now, like people reveal like, the horrible horrible things that went on uh you know there's um i didn't i didn't really experience much of that um but you mentioned uh, something but traveling is a big thing that's how that's how you gain experience that's how you gain experience in a lot of things but especially with wrestling you know getting out of your comfort zone like your buddy did he decided to start traveling i mean that that's huge Mm -hmm. yeah and again not like not like you know, going down to like Florida or, or, or out, you know, the little like West Coast, but like, like having to like at least stay in a hotel for the night because you you can't like just like drive back home from wherever you went. You know, it's that that kind of thing. I guess you could say it's actually kind of similar to tournaments where like we you know we have to spend the weekend because we're there you know the whole weekend doing stuff. But I would say like the the lifestyle of of like the travel that they have for WWE and I mean it's not like what it was, but. I, I could not even imagine. I mean, you, you have to get into this like mode of life where this is life. Like you're just literally, you're always someplace else. It's like, especially like back in like the, the nineties from, from what I know that like this, you could be in like one side of the country and then the other, then the middle, then back to another right, side. Right. And then over the course of like a month, you know, th- like it's just mind boggling. Like your body can't possibly, your, your body can't possibly adjust to that. And that's why a lot of them had to go down the road. They did with, you know, self-medicating, you know, for <laughs> um, Unfortunately. injuries and stuff. Like it's, it's hard to like stay out, you know, it's like, I got a hurt leg, but I still got to get paid. Never. I never had to deal with any of that. So I'm very, very fortunate. Was Bigelow the biggest name you met during your time doing wrestling? Uh, no, I mean, I, I met a lot of guys on shows. Um, it's funny to like speak, speak about it from that like perspective. Um, I met guys that were like on top in the business because of the way 
the structure was for booking at the time uh, where you really couldn't have that today unless they're like no longer under contract. There's like no value for them on television in a sense. I don't want to undervalue people, but there's guys that they know they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to get a job with Vince anymore. So they have to take these bookings because it's what they've done their whole life. It's kind of hard to be, you know, 45, 50 years old and you've always been a wrestler. What are you going to do now? You know, a lot of these guys didn't, you know, didn't go to college. Maybe, you know, some of them, some of them did, but, um, but, um, I don't know, like, uh, I mean, like Psycho Sid, Psycho Sid was, I think, I think he was in ECW when I met him. It was 98. I want to say. Yeah, he was in ECW uh, then. No, was that was 90? before he yeah, got yeah, yeah. back to WCW. Okay. Yeah. So it was 98. Uh, and so he was like still relatively on top at the time. Like he was still like, okay, Sid could be WCW champion like the week after I met him, you know, that, that kind of, you know, that kind of status. But like, I mean, I met like Bob Backlund, um, which was like, I don't think, I don't think I even knew he was on the show. So again, it was like, I would like go to shows. I like wouldn't, I wouldn't look at the flyers or anything that were like locally hung up. So I didn't even know who was going to be on the show uh, until I got there. Um, but uh, yeah, I met Bundy um, like around 2000. Um, I know you told me uh, you knew Boss Mahoney, right? Yeah. Yeah. I knew him. I mean, I wasn't like good friends with him, but yeah, I, I knew him uh, going back about 20 years ago. And then, we did some shows together about probably like maybe like 10 years after that, but I didn't really see him much in between. I actually ran into him, uh, in, um, Sayreville, uh, at the, um, whatever the hell that, uh, that uh, venue is there. Starland ballroom. Right. Does that sound right? Yeah. Uh, you didn't get a hit by a chair by him. Did you? No. Was that a typo negative show? I was there with this girl and, uh, she's a big wrestling fan. And uh, we're just like standing by the entranceway. We're like after the entranceway into the ballroom area, and uh, the door opens, and Balls Mahoney walks through. And I was just like, Phew. I was like, what? I was like, I didn't realize he's a Type O fan. And I says to her, I, she goes, she's from Staten Island. She's just like, oh my god, is that Balls Mahoney? I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, watch this. And I just went over to him, and he saw me. Uh, I gave him a big hug, and and uh, I like kind of like he knew who I was, but like being like someone like him who's just wrestling all the time you've run into so many people uh i didn't you know you know i didn't want to just be like you know oh hey this is balls mahoney or whatever you know and, you know it's like we we worked for a specific guy and i told him and, and he like he remembered working for that guy and that didn't bring back very good memories <laughs> it's, uh, some promoters some promoters treat you right and some don't um some you know pretend you know to be there for you and, and they're not um but um but yeah, Balls Balls was just a sweetheart, like really just really good guy. I mean, I don't know if other people maybe didn't have the same, you know, impression of him, uh, but uh, but I, I always thought he was a good guy. Was he an amateur wrestler as well? Um, I don't know. I uh, I never I never really I don't really know much about his background uh, other than like what he did, like right before ECW with WWF. That was that was basically it. Um, no, uh, I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. I mean, he was, he's always like large, but, uh, no, don't know. Actually, that's a good question. I've been, I should have asked it a little bit earlier during your days of training. Like what was the, 
was the general person in their um, training? Were they athletes? Were they people who were just wrestling fans and were trying to get in into the business somehow? Like, like, give us a breakdown of what kind of people were in their training. Um, there, there was definitely still a mix of people. Um, there were, there were people who were athletic, and there were people who were like into their bodies, into their like physiques. Uh, but they didn't really understand wrestling, which I think is very common. Um, I think like somebody, you could say like a like a Lex Luger, like he didn't get into wrestling because he wanted to be a wrestler. He was like offered a position to be a wrestler because of how he looked. Um, you get a lot of those kinds of people. They play football or something, you know, something really physical, and maybe they think they could be a wrestler. And like, oh, I watched that when I was a kid. You get some of those. Uh, you get some people who are really good, but they're just physically not capable. Um, but um, I don't know. Like I, I think that there was a there was like a turning point in the '90s, like when when wrestling started becoming a little more like uh, alternative, uh, where you didn't need to be like a big muscular guy anymore. That just kind of like kind of started going away, uh, at least to break in. But you know, still to be on television, you know, obviously you have to have you know, some kind of a appearance. But um, uh, I remember there being guys that, like, were really big, like, like definitely on steroids, guys. Uh, they, just didn't, they just didn't know. They just didn't know what to do. You couldn't right. train them. There's no way. Like, there, there's, like, an untrainable level for some people. Um, you know, and then there's people who um, just, they just come in and just want to do what they call high spots all the time and when you're coming into wrestling school and you're a full-grown adult and you don't understand that like you can't just do whatever you want um you know that's hard to deal with too um but um you know and then of course you get like you know more and more like younger you know younger people coming in and i remember even like having to work with some kids who it's funny, like, again, to, like, come, like, well, not, like, full circle, but, like, to, I guess you could say it's, like, from the opposite perspective, being a little bit older and then having, like, the younger kids come in uh, to uh, to then all of a sudden understand, like, okay, this is how these guys felt when I came in. And it's, like, now you got to work with this, like, kid who doesn't have training uh, and it doesn't have, like, the physical strength, um, you know, and, and you have to try to, like, make them look passable um like you have like those kinds of things and again you have that with full-grown person who comes in and has absolutely no idea what they're doing um but you typically don't like let them go on shows uh so that you have like all these different dynamics um you got people who just think they know everything you know when they come in um that they don't they don't want to really be trained i guess you could say they kind of just want to like practice they kind of like, they're, they're like yeah, well, no, they they may they may get it, but they just want to like practice what they can do, and they don't really care about anything else. I can understand that again to some degree when you're younger, but I guess it's just like a, a like a personality type that you were, you would see come through the doors. Um, I tried like at some point to to really make sure that I like understood the the like the micro micro management of wrestling um, to the point where like uh, I would critique other guys who would come in uh, to the point where I, I would try to like push it to see if they, if they were like getting annoyed, I guess you could say right. with the criticism. 
um, because I liked the idea of making matches seem logical, but in a time where everybody was just doing spots. Like, literally, it was just, like, you go out there and just, like, do moves, very little psychology. Um, you know, and you got guys that would come in who only wanted to learn, like, psychology because, it, I don't know, there's, like, a... Uh, there's like a, a weird like there's a weird fan aspect to how matches are um, how they're performed uh, versus like the athlete fan who just wants to like be physical. Again, these are like clashing personality types, especially like in a wrestling school. Uh, right, it's right. hard to put those kinds of things together, which is why a wrestling school should be, you know, more designed for making everybody understand how the business works versus like, you know, doing my moves, you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of thing is like, I think it's still there. I think it's actually even, it's even like more so on television now where you see, it's just like, these guys are such great athletes and they do all these, you know, fantastic spots and stuff, but they're, they're not making like a, a like a emotional connection with the fans. It just doesn't happen. Not, no. Um, and you you would see that again, like in in the school, like the people the people who got that and people who didn't. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know, it's kind of a it's kind of like a like a muddy sort of um, pool of of people. Um, it's not not really anything. At least like I said, when I broke in, uh, wasn't any like particular like influx of of you know people. You weren't like walking into like the gym where it's just like all a bunch of like muscle heads and you got like the one guy in the corner who just started out. Everybody's an individual at that point. Of course, people are going to give you their opinions when you're at the gym, but wrestling school is designed for criticism. So, where, um, so you know, WCW and ECW closed down and everybody thought, well, that's the end. The only one company controls everything. But man, the, the, it was like a big boom. This is before Ring of Honor and even TNA came around, because the independents yeah. were still very strong. Were you part of that for a while there before you hung them up? Well, I okay, so I really wanted to get into ECW. That I thought I could do that. Um, if I did that, I would have definitely been happy. Uh, and then once ECW was gone, I think I kind of lost that. That may have been really what like did it for me saying it's like well you know what that door is not there anymore to even walk through uh and i did not want to go you know wcw um if that was even a possibility and again remember this is you know 20 plus years ago when i was you know young and healthy and you know relatively in shape uh where well, literally uh, wcw close yeah. first before ecw so you wouldn't have a chance it? yeah it, was it was it the same year they closed the same year but wcw closed first okay all right so there you go um yeah uh i had one chance to get into ecw uh i was it was probably like a few months before they closed so it was probably what was it 2001 to it's probably like oh, 2000 like early 2000 yeah I'm very positive. Uh, WCW closed in um, was it May 2000? No, it was 2001. 2000. It was it was definitely 2001. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was 2001. It was 2001. Yeah, and then ECW would have been a few months later. After that, okay. Yeah, I thought it was the other way around. 
Anyway, oh. I was given not not like a, a direct opportunity, but it was like, hey, you know what? If you get your if you get yourself in shape, basically, um, you know, I can uh, I can introduce you to the right people, and maybe we can get you uh, on you know on some shows. Uh, and I was like, okay, I was like, that's you know, I I could give that a shot. And then before I knew it, it was it was gone. You know, so. Um, so that was like my one opportunity was like just about there. I was like 20. So, you know, figure what the hell, why not? I don't have anything else going on. Um, but, um, yeah, that it would have been nice, but, um, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I, I, I <laughs> the way I feel today, I, I don't know if this is just how you feel at this age or if it has anything to do with, with wrestling. Um, but I cannot imagine how some of these guys feel who did this, you know, 270 shows, you know, a year. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. The amount of punishment. And you still live with the, some of the pain, right? It's not, like, pain. It's just, like, this overall, like, sluggishness of, like, movement. And, and it's it's been like this for a little while. Like, I don't know if, like, anybody ever, like, noticed, like, tournaments and stuff like that. I just kind of, like, plot around. It's just because, like, that's, like, my speed now. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if it's, again, like, it, you, you hear about, like, people experiencing this, but maybe a little bit older than, you know, 39. I don't know. It was, like, it was, but it was very shortly after I stopped wrestling when I started noticing it. So I figured it maybe that the routine of doing things and still sticking around was keeping me at like a freshened pace, so to speak. And then all of a sudden your body's not doing this for like a year or two. And it's like, and, and also hitting that cusp in the age where like, you know, injuries are starting to get, you know, harder to heal and stuff. And, you know, I mean, think about it. It's like only, you know, 30, 32 years older, whatever I was. Um, and you know what? I mean, yeah. at least it's Reality. only that. Cause, uh, my brother, I believe he met Mick Foley at a convention, I mean, maybe oh two God. years back. And, you know, Foley, I don't even believe he's 60 yet. And my brother tells no, me it's like he, uh, he can't walk. Yeah. Um, now, I thought he was doing better after the DDP yoga, but, um, but yeah. DDP he, yoga, I mean, baby. Even 20 years ago, I mean, you would see him get in the ring. And, and I remember, like, I remember seeing him all of a sudden do like a, like a, it was like a Royal Rumble or something one year, like way after the fact, I was like, how is he in the ring? I'm like, how is that guy moving right now? <laughs> um, and it was definitely before DDP yoga, but it was, it was well after it was like mid two thousands. I want to say, and it kind of, I, like, I know which one you're talking about. The one John Cena one, right? Which one was that? that 2008. Was, uh, yeah. 2008. 20. Was it 2010? Gordon, I was there. He made uh, Foley made a special appearance. Okay, but he was yeah. in the Rumble, though, right? Yeah, he right. was. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I was, I was there for that one. That was like the, that was the first, that was the first WWE show that I went to since I was a child. Um, it was like something like a 17 year gap. I went to a lot of independent shows in my teens, but um. But I, I went to a few rest. I was at like WrestleMania five. That was in 1989. Um, so it's like seven years old. Um, and then like another show in the Meadowlands, another show at the Garden. But then nothing between that and that Rumble in 2008. Right. Um, 
I don't know. I guess because like when you get into wrestling, like you're you're not supposed to like go to shows and there's like all this again, like it's like kayfabe in a way. But like, who who's you think like who's gonna notice you? You know, you're an indie you're, guy. You're not allowed to be a fan. <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, like, I would get noticed. Uh, at, like I'd be like getting off the train to like go to like Prudential Center, and I would get noticed by fans. And I'd be like, God damn! Really? I'm like, that's I just, awesome. I just yes, yes. I'm like, I just want to go to a show because they are wrestling fans coming from the local area where they would watch me wrestle, and go to the big, you know, WWE event, and they'd be like, Oh yeah, look at that! That's a wrestler from one of the shows that I usually go to. Um, but, Were they uh, fans yeah. from some of those videos you've put up on Facebook from What's the shows that? they've attended? Because you put up a it, lot of videos of yourself uh, during. Um, you know, like some of your highlight reels. I'm assuming the fans, you yeah. know, they were from a lot of those shows that you posted. No, well, they they would have gone to those events and you know, seeing seeing me wrestle for you know at like a local high school gym, you know, uh, but then like running into me at a you know wrestling match for WWE makes sense. But it's just funny that like they would notice me. I wouldn't think that they would notice me, you know, but um. Did any of but them ask like, if uh, of, you're in there to run into a match or something? Um, Are you going to interfere in the match I tonight think, between John Cena I and Triple I H? Was, I think I was asked once, and I go to a, a bunch of them, but it, like between like 2008 and like 2011, I went to a few because I was really like winding down like with indie with indie wrestling. I just didn't, you know, I didn't care anymore. But put mildly, um, but um. I do. I do remember somebody asked me if I was going to be on the show, and I was like, "Oh, absolutely not!" I'm like, what are you, <laughs> are you crazy? But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, it's just like a stigma, you know. Like you're 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 supposed to be in the business to be the business, not to be there for like a. You're not, you're not supposed to be like one of the fans. Um, I don't know. Like I, I cared about that when I was younger, and then at some point it was just like, well, you know what? I'm just doing this as a hobby. It's like, what does it matter? But it still does. I mean, you hear about like, you know, you don't really want to like go to like a convention and like get like a wrestler's autograph. Like that would be really bad. But um, you know, to go to an actual show just to like watch the show, like I don't, I don't see any harm in that. But some people. Yeah, let me put you on the spot right now. We already talked about your wrestling career. I'm sure you miss it. I mean, who wouldn't want to miss it? I'm sure you have wanted to move up a few levels. But like you say, you only did it at your leisure time. But now we're yeah. talking about Shock the Fan. Top five mm. wrestlers of all time for Shock. Okay. Uh, Undertaker. Number one. Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, one, or, one and two for me. Um, uh, Edge. I really liked Edge. Uh, I think he's definitely put himself at risk right now. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know. Owen Hart was up there for me. He sounds kind of like cliche, uh, but he really, he really was like. I, I really liked his, like his his style. Um, and uh, I mean, I honestly don't. I don't know. I don't really think I have like like too many like. Uh, like oh my god! Like you, you got to see all, like all this guy's matches. Like if they would say like oh yeah, if you really want to like learn the business, watch this guy. Might not be one of my favorites, but um, for like enjoyment, like I don't know. I couldn't even. There's so many. Throw me some names in that. <laughs> Kurt Angle. Yeah, Kurt Angle. Yeah, I mean I know he was good, but I, I never again 
he came in after I already started wrestling. I wasn't really watching wrestling much anymore at the time. Um, I took like a, a long break between like 98 and like 2008, I would 2007, I would say where I, I didn't really watch the product at all. Um, Ricky Morton, Ricky Morton. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know what his value was, you know, to the business, but I didn't really, I never liked flair as a kid, but I liked him more towards the very end. Uh, I actually I boycott Royal Rumble 92 because I knew he was going to win. I knew he was going to win. I was I was not even 10. Was I? I was like 10 years old. I was 10 years old. And I remember saying to one of my friends, I was like, ah, I'm like, I'm not even going to watch Royal Rumble. Ric Flair is going to win. And I was like, it totally pissed me off. And then uh, he did win. And my friend called me the next morning and he was like, you were right. He's like, Ric Flair won. I was like, oh, I told you. <laughs> Dude, you know that match, the entire match, uh, WWE, the YouTube channel, has put it up for free. And I was yes. watching that the other day. I just watched it the other night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a freaking great, great yeah. rumble. Yeah. Oh, it's you got know like what? 2 million views. Say again? It's got like 2 million views. It's amazing to me. I was watching that. And my wife was watching it with me, but she never really watched wrestling during that time. She was just mm-hmm. watching it. And it's like, oh, I remember this guy. And then I, I believe The Undertaker was in that rumble. And she yeah. sees him, and it's like, oh, my God. And it hits yeah, me. It's so and, say again? It's so, it's so different to see him in that in the character, the original character like that. Um, it, it's like uh, it's surreal because you, you've had this, like, down-to-earth version of him, I, I guess you could say. Like, obviously, they did still did crazy stuff with the character but it's a very like humanized version of that character right um yeah but like i was telling my wife because she's like oh my god look how young he looks it's like well of course yeah, he's he's not like from 1992 20, he's like 27 years old <laughs> but it, it really hit me and it's amazing to me i don't know if i'm the only one who feels this way but watching that it's like holy shit I mean, I basically watch yeah. these guys get old right in front of me as yes. I'm growing older. It's, 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 it's like <laughs> stunning to see, especially because he's like a time capsule. Like he he's always been there. And now only now it's just like, wow, like it's been 30 years. And not only is he old, but like I'm old now. Yes. And I was, you know, I can't start. So I, I can throw you a couple more out just i've been running running through my head just participants from that royal rumble and wrestlers in, in general so if i wanted to throw out there a few more uh ted dibiase the million oh, was dollar awesome. man was he he definitely i i i mean if he's not in my top five like if i had to like scoot owen hart out of there uh i, I would have him and like mr perfect um they were i mean just to me like the epitome of like of a, of a, an archetype heel in wrestling. Um, and they, they were good in the ring too, because you'd have to have a heel that was talented enough to make the baby faces look good because not all the baby faces were, were actually very good wrestlers, but you couldn't be too good in the ring. Cause if you look at heels now, if a heel is talented today, the fans will cheer for them. You can't get them to hate them no matter what they do. Because they, the fans, the fans are more respectful of ability today, uh, which also creates um, the illusion to the really, um, what would you call like smart mark fans, 
uh, and the ones who are, are like diehard about like TNA and AEW, like they want this like super high quality wrestling product, but like the average American wrestling fan doesn't care. Uh, but I do feel that today that the talent is more respected for sure. Uh, you have to have like a certain level of ability uh, or you're not even, you're not going to be able to, to make it very long because it's, they're going to hate you for not being good. So if you like when they used to chant, like you can't wrestle, Oh, that yeah. means that means that they don't even want you in the ring. It doesn't. They're not booing you because of the storyline. They're booing you because they don't like you. That's. <laughs> that's no, I've very... always hated that chant. I, I always yeah, did. I, yeah, they're, yeah, they're in there. I, I always mm-hmm. felt with that, and even you know some of these smart fans, smart fans as they're called, they, they're their own. They, how do I say? I've, I've told Mike this a couple of times. It's funny that those fans are basically there not to enjoy the show. They just want to make it about themselves. Yeah. Or, or it's yep. more along the lines like, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus, like... Um, my, my old friends hate it. Like Rocky Horror Picture stuff. Um, my my older friends hate the, the, the concept of, like, the WWE universe. It's like, it's not about the fans, and they try to make it about the fans. It's not. Like, it's, it's about what's going on in the ring you know it's about what they're doing and it's this inverse level of connection now i i couldn't stand the fact that like i was watching pay-per-views and i see the same fans on the hard cam oh yeah every pay-per-view and then the next night on raw i like no like i don't <laughs> i don't want i don't want to see that kind of um like uh consistency in the product where it's like the fans are there the same fans are in the crowd. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Listen, um, no offense it, to this guy. No offense to this guy. Maybe you know him. But I couldn't stand Straw Hat Guy. Oh, in ECW? Yeah, I couldn't stand that guy. That guy. I, I mean, I didn't. I, I, I don't know anything other than that guy was in the front row at every single ECW show. Now, I will, I will counter my own argument there <laughs> is that when – for ECW, that was a good thing. To see the same guys in in the crowd at a time where wrestling was still like along the lines of like what it was uh, for um, uh, crowd sort of, or, or I, I guess you could say like interaction. Um, the um, the fact that the ECW fan base showed such dedication to that product was good for the product because ECW was not big enough for it to matter. Whereas in the 2010s, when you see the same people in the crowd at multiple shows during the year, not just multiple, like literally like every single pay-per-view, like you could pay, I'm like, Oh, there's that guy. Oh, there's that woman. Oh, there's that girl. Oh, there's that guy. Like it, it just, it, it's strange. It's just strange. Like, and I don't know their stories, so I don't know how they get the tickets. I don't know what their deal is. Um, but, um, I think it kind of like makes people think like, oh, and here's another factor is that this straw hat guy, he was in Philadelphia. Yes. He, these people are all over the country uh, at these different shows. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It makes you think that WWE is like almost hiring fans at that point. Like they, it's, and obviously these are, this is not the case. Cause I know there's some, some of them out there that have like their fan base and uh, which is kind of odd. There was a guy back in the day, um, Vlad, the super fan. I don't know if you're aware of who he is, <laughs> no. but he he is. If you watch the old pay-per-views from the '90s and probably even into the '80s, I think he's from New York. I th- I'm not 100, percent 
but you would see him every pay-per-view there would be a crowd shot and they would pan and you would see this guy and he, i mean he stuck out like a sore thumb. he wore like a white tank top um sometimes i think he had like a sign but uh he i believe he does conventions I, i'm not joking i'm pretty sure he does conventions like he like vlad the super fan will be here with uh nasty boy brian knobs you know like i wasn't there um, uh, wasn't there a guy recently in WWE where like I, I mean I don't know if he was self-made or maybe he won the lotto or something like that but he would literally be at every I mean every WWE show Raw SmackDown pay-per-views I'm even sure TV shows no, because I remember sure. that one guy he got like he got some media attention because it's like yo why is this dude always here. Yeah. Um, so again, like it, it goes back to like uh, I'm not sure who you're talking about, but like I'm positive there's people who go to an enormous amount of shows, but uh, they're not on the hard cam in like the same seats like like the straw hat guy was, but on a different like in a different scope of the business. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense for the same people to be in in like California or Florida or Texas or New York. You're going to see the same people like if it's one person in one one city because that's where the company's based out of that makes sense but um yeah i i don't know who you're who you're talking about but uh yeah, he's it, recent I mean, yeah it, it wouldn't surprise me um yeah i mean again it's just dedication to the to the product but another factor is that is the product like worth dedicating yourself to or are you just wasting your time i mean it's you know, it's their money, but <laughs> at this point, I think um, it's just uh, uh, what's the word? Are they looking for attention? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's like they've been basically programmed to just tune the raw, or you know, yeah. just. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, hey, listen. I have some friends who still watch the Lee hardcore, but they admit yeah. it to me. They literally, it's no Monday night, eight o'clock. Turn the channel. Don't even, don't even pay attention. Um, Force a habit. That's what it is. That's the word. Yeah, I, I think that the problem with the um, like the the fan base for say, uh, AEW or TNA versus a WWE fan is that the there's still this idea that WWE is American wrestling, and that's what that's what there is for you to watch, and anything that isn't a McMahon run show is not legitimate. I think there's definitely people who feel that way. But in contrast, the fan base for the high-level wrestling without any regard for, say, production, and I'm not saying, like, quality of production, but, like, logic of production, um, the, that fan base is just not... It's not big. It really is not big. And you can you can tell because... WWE's slowly over the last 10 years or so come down in the ratings so much. Like I know they've been saying recently, like they've had some of the lowest ratings ever. Um, but to me, that says that like that fan base that thinks that WWE is the be all end all has been evaporating over time. And I think that you've seen that more and more say, let's go back all the way to where like stone cold and the rock, they both left pretty much around the same time but nobody was really aware that they were permanently gone and then obviously the rock came back you know for a little bit uh and stone cold has his appearances here and there but 
as something for a draw for the fans to come back to every single week. They were weaned off of them versus these other names that are going out and it's an actual like announced retirement. I think they lose like a, a significant uh, portion of fans when they announce like a big retirement, like Shawn Michaels. There is probably a lot of people hanging around just for him. I mean, maybe not, you know, hundreds of thousands or whatever. But like, if you do that enough over time, you whittle away that old fan base. And obviously they just lose interest over time as well. But this base of fan that wants these super high quality wrestling matches is just, it's, it's never really been more than I'm, I'm going to say 10% of the, of the whole American fan base. Of so there, I think there has to be a point where they accept that wrestling is never going to be as popular as it was in the eighties or the late nineties. It's never going to happen again. Um, the internet partially to blame, maybe significantly to blame. Uh, it needs a mystique. It needs, I, I honestly don't even think that like, wrestling personality should be interacting with fans on like social media. Like I know that that's probably part of the, a requirement for them to even exist anymore, but I think that they're existing in this 10% bubble of what is left. So I, I think that at some point, if wrestling does have like a burst, like where the, the bubble just breaks, um, eventually then indie, indie wrestling will pick up again and then maybe years later, somebody else will, you know, eventually have a company that is more based upon like wrestling as it was. Um, all entertainment, though, now is just obsessed with like fan interaction. And I think that kills the mystique of things and makes things less interesting um, and hypercritical, I think. Uh, two things about the stuff you mentioned. Number one, I'm fully in agreement with you. I've always said the biggest danger Vince McMahon has done to the wrestling world is he's given the business world the idea that he's the only one who knows how to do it. Yeah. That's number one. And number two, the fan interaction. True. Does it bother you that after he retired, I mean, you know, again, Undertaker's been going on all these uh, social media tours. I mean, he, he was in full getup talking to Snoop Dogg. Does that take away a little bit away from um, <laughs> If he does things in full gimmick, I think it doesn't make sense at this point. Uh, I know that there's like a there's like a a sweet spot for getting a character on television at least. Uh, you can see how they did it, you know, back in like Johnny Carson days. Um, they still, again, they maintain kayfabe while also adding like the element of like this is a job. Like you think about like wrestlers like. They're, they're just getting paid, you know, to go out there to, you know, beat each other versus they're going out there to perform a character. So you kind of got like both of those things with like even something as like simple as like like Regis Philbin. They used to have wrestlers on all the time on that. Dude, I was would about to bring that up, man. My yeah. favorite was when Taker and Paul Bear went on Regis and Kelly. That was such yes. an awesome appearance. Regis and Kathy Lee, yeah. Yeah, Regis that and was, Kathy um, Lee, excuse me. Was that, well, so he was on, I believe he was on twice. Uh, there was the one with the Yokozuna angle. With the, ca the, uh, with the casket, yes. Yes, yes. And he goes in and he pulls out the Undertaker <laughs> teddy bear. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, that was a perfect example of crossing the professional wrestling cartoonish nonsense, which was you know what it was at the time, with the real world 
where people are interacting with the character in their wrestling bubble. It's very strange. And even think like when I remember like Mr. Perfect was on, Yokozuna was on, all these guys were in full character and yet they were still obviously mainstream in general wasn't taking them seriously. They mainstream hate hates wrestling in that regard. Oh, yeah. They absolutely hate it. It's so uh it's like demeaning for them to even have to like acknowledge the fact that wrestling exists as part of entertainment. But um the um the main point is that you, you don't ha- always have a guy like a John Cena who could just like go out on a, on a show and just be himself. And you don't really, you can't really tell the difference too much. He's just nicer, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, you know, versus um, say a Hulk Hogan in, you know, 1982 or something like that, you know, where he's, he's going out there. This is how Hulk Hogan, the wrestler behaves outside the ring. And he's still Hulk Hogan is just something I feel like is, is lost. It, again, it's all part of the mystique and just how enter, the entertainment business was in general. Um, like you wouldn't have like a, a television character, like come on a talk show right? as the character. This makes sense. You're just going to talk to the actor, or the actress, the voice actor. And, so well. yeah, oh, yeah. So, um, by the way, just, I, another personally my favorite appearance out of all of them arsenio hall had a lot of them on his show yes, he, he, he was very he was much very into it the yep. best ones guys and look it up go on youtube and find ted DiBiase and virgil on arsenio hall yeah. oh the, <laughs> it, it, you want to talk about one. just bringing that character onto tv for a different audience and still selling the fact there's like yeah this is what he actually does in the ring DiBiase was a great yeah. talker, you know that, and you right. could tell, man, Virgil just wanted to start laughing because you know the <laughs> the interactions he and Arsenio Hall yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, DiBiase was. I mean, uh, I I know from what I understand that DiBiase's character he was brought in to play that character, but I think they may have had other people in mind. Um, I don't know if anybody could have done it better. I mean, obviously, we we only saw what Teddy Biasi did with it, um, but they gave that character the full treatment of kayfabe all the time. So, like when he traveled, he had to be in a limousine; like he could right. not go anywhere unless he was in the Million Dollar Man character. He could only stay at five star hotels. Uh, like they they have fresh wads of cash for him to flash around. Like it was, it was the real deal, and that was the dedication to a craft, to like a, um, you know, performance thing. Whereas, like, I don't know, like uh, who who there's there's been a few characters in recent years that were comparable. Like obviously, like JBL did a little bit of a million dollar man thing. Alberto about, like, Rio. He was another one. I loved Alberto Del Rio when he first came around because I got that feeling of a dedicated character, which he reminded me of the Razor Ramon promos when Razor Ramon came in. Razor Ramon was like almost like a like a, a vague spin-off of a million dollar man character, but they gave him these vignettes when he came in that really got down to the character's personality immediately. Right. You didn't even need to see him in the ring to know that you were going to despise him. And I think Alberto Del Rio did that from what I remember. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like this is like the merger of like, like million dollar man, JBL, Razor Ramon, like all these characters kind of like, you know, tied up into one and it was just fantastic. And then as we know, he, you know, was 
undependable and strange, we'll say. Well, the thing <laughs> about him was that they tried to make him into a face. I mean, there are some guys that, you know, you've been watching this as long as I have, as long as you have, and you've done it too. I mean, there's just guys who literally only should work one persona. He's like a, he's a bona fide heel. He's got that cocky, you know, Mm -hmm. actor, pretty actor, like you just want to punch in the face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, it's true. There's, there's some people who know what they're good at. Um, and I don't know, Vince doesn't always agree and, uh, they like to experiment with things. You can tell when people are not happy with what they're doing, which is unfortunate. There's a little bit of a, of an acknowledgement to that, uh, on some extent. I think people are pointing that out with Lana right now. I believe Bubba Ray Dudley made some kind of, I think it was Bubba Ray Dudley. He made a really, he had a really, really accurate take on what's going on with her is that she's being treated like garbage, um, but she's doing it because it's her job. If she wants to do this, she will be rewarded. Maybe, maybe not. We don't really know. But he brought up the point is that like, she never looks like she doesn't want to be out there. And that's very important. It's like I remember back with Carlito, you could tell about 10 years ago. Because now he, now he's back and he I don't know what is he is he back like uh, full time or no they idea, man. I think that they're they're doing some kind of like probation thing with him because nobody ever thought he would ever be back but you could tell just by him coming out there that there was something wrong you, you can't do that like this is again it's like your job like th- you can go out there it's very hard for them to like get the hook and just pull you you know off the screen it's hard to do and you, and you damage you know the the product you know obviously. You know, you can't force people to be happy, but you know, in, in in more recent times, it's it's become it's become evident, you know, that uh, you can address things uh, uh, with with the the talent relations more than people could back in the day, whereas people just had to like grin and bear everything. Right. Um. Yeah. Uh. You know. Um. You know. By there's the way, there's other guys. About ADR. About uh, Alberto. I didn't know this uh, until a while back, but he actually tried MMA before he got into uh, WWE. Uh, What the heck was his father's name? Is it Mil Caras? Is that who he's related to? I think it is. Because I know he he fought Crow Cup. I know he is. Yeah. He fought Crow Cup in some sort of MMA match. I mean, obviously, he, he got rocked. But at least he tried. Yeah. But, but it's like. But huh. supposedly he's he's not. Supposedly he's not too bad. But like, there's a difference between like being like somebody who can you know roll and somebody who can like actually like fight. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he can. Uh, yeah, I don't know too much about that, but I did hear that he uh, that he tried it. Um, you know, and of course we heard like Batista, he tried it. Um, Bobby Lashley. Well, Bobby Lashley's um, he been uh, he's done MMA for a while now. He's he uh, a Bellator good, champ. Though. Oh, he's pretty yeah. good, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, um, Bellator's down here. God bless them. Yeah. I mean, they could yeah. beat my ass. Mm-hmm. And then UFC <laughs> is like the top of the top. Yeah, yeah. It's the same hierarchy as wrestling, basically. Um, By the way, another yeah. guy that I just realized that I literally grew up watching, and he's much younger than The Undertaker, and I've seen him wrestle since he's 15, Rey Mysterio. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I remember when he came into ECW, that's where I was introduced to him. Um, 
he was god he was like 22 i think yeah i think he Something was like maybe that. 21 or 20 yeah when, when yeah, he broke some in, people forget those you're... mexican guys they wrestle since yeah. they're like 12 yeah yep he's wrestling at the bar they said they had bar shows yes and he would sneak in after doing his after doing his arithmetic i believe joey styles said <laughs> um his arithmetic homework um yeah, that's just again, you don't you don't realize like a lot. It's funny. I was gonna bring this up before. Is that I broke in, again stupidly. I broke into the business at sixteen, and there's guys who are older than me who didn't start until after I did, because uh, they you know they went to college. <laughs> they like waited until they maybe had like a, a degree in you know business or or something like that before they said, I'm going to give this wrestling thing a shot. You know, like someone like a, like a John Cena. Like, I mean, when, when I believe did he... Shane Douglas was, the, uh, had the same route. What's that? Shane Douglas. I believe he went and got his masters before he decided to actually do yeah. wrestling. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of guys as of like being born in the sixties, I'll say like that age range, like you have like this, this like unbelievable group and it's not just wrestling. It's like, all of entertainment where like people who were born like vaguely between like the 1960 to 1970 who have dramatically excelled in everything and it's they were good 20 years ago and these people are still in demand today whereas like you may have had you know people who were just good for their their generation and that was it which is why you see so much of this nostalgia and reboots today. It's like much, much more significant than it was. We had that back in the day. Like when we were kids, they were rebooting things, but it's got to be like tenfold now. So like if you look at like all these guys who ran the Attitude Era, they were at that age range where they were, they were hitting their peak. They were still able to perform. They had enough experience. Um, so you have like Stone Cold, Undertaker, um, Mick Foley, uh, Shawn Michaels, uh, Triple H, like Bret Hart. Other ones. Yeah, Bret, Bret Hart, I, I think Bret Hart's a, a little bit older, and Triple H is a little bit younger. Yeah, but they right. all fall basically into that age range. And there's a bunch of other ones, but they were all born like right around 1965. And it's also like that, like I said, in other like sports and like movies, music, something very odd about that, that decade where the peak content hit where like you couldn't do anything new anymore without it turning into garbage. I don't know if you ever heard that analogy or that comparison of things is like you can take like something that is like pure concept and then you can take another pure concept and you can put those two things together. But then when you create another one and then another one and put those two new concepts together, things start to get a little bit, they start to become a mess. Right. But if you do that enough, it starts to become the norm. So now, like, your baseline is a mess. And I think we've hit that point now, another generation deep, where you have all these things in, in every aspect of entertainment that have all been combined so many times that now you're just spitting out garbage. But it's, like, people don't realize that, you know, the reason why people go back to stuff from generations before, like, I know, like, people's like, oh, the network's, like, got, you know, got all old school stuff, but, like, it's not really that popular. But if you go look at the YouTube stuff, a lot of the old stuff gets a lot of views. And to me, that, like, that says something. And not just that, it's also, like, the type of characters that get a lot of views that you wouldn't really expect. Like, the great Kali. His videos, maybe it's because of the network in India, 
But Grey Collie's videos have millions of views. Right. Million. If you look at that, I was I, I like I like to research numbers and see these kinds of things. So one day I was looking through and I was like, God damn, like the top 20 videos at one point, like he was in like 10 of them like in terms of view count. And on, on, it's like, why? Like everybody like unanimously despises him. <laughs> but but people like to see these like like crazy things. Like it doesn't matter how good or bad something is. It's like it's an attraction. So you have to see it. Um, but when you look at the the pure talent that came out of that generation that like ran the attitude era. You had guys who were 30 to 35 years old who were running a billion dollar company, like or at least like supplying the content for a billion dollar company. And that is like massive amount of pressure. And they knew it too, because they were comp literally competing for the jobs against WCW at the time. Right. Um, but they had to produce this like interesting, at least, you know, what was thought to be interesting at the time. And they also, their, their hands were not as tied as they are now, which I know they got Undertaker's getting some heat for some things that he said, but he's absolutely right about. I think the problem isn't so much what he said is that people don't want to face facts that like he's right about it. And there are a lot of people who agree with him um, that the content and the, the product is different today. It's maybe not necessarily the wrestler's fault, but they're, they're not allowed to be as free as these guys were back in the day, especially with scripted promos. And I'm not even talking about like bullet points. I mean, like literally just like scripted promos. Like it's, it's in, it's intolerable to watch some of these, these backstage segments. Like they were bad back in the day. Don't get me wrong for oh, some, yeah. some of them, but now I mean, you've ever seen an like, ultimate warrior promo. Yeah. Not exactly okay. Oscar winning things, but you know what? I I'm, it didn't matter. People <laughs> loved him. They Th that's loved true. Him. It doesn't matter. Like it's so bizarre. Like he was the worst wrestler. He was the worst. He was horrendous. Okay, I'm I'm sorry to any Ultimate Warrior fans out there. He was very very bad and sloppy and dangerous in the ring. But it didn't matter because the guy was loaded with charisma. He he just went out there and stream of consciousness did his thing. And people ate it up. They were looking for an alternative to Hulk Hogan, and they really, really thought he was going to be it. But what happened? Undependable. Basically, and that was it. Same, same thing that's happened with many, many other people. Um, if you look at any anybody who's been truly successful, they're the ones who are just allowed to go out there and do what they do. So, like for example. Uh, after the era of the scripted promos really started to go, you had uh, like CM Punk. And CM Punk would just go out there and to the best of his ability, he would shoot when he spoke, but he would keep it in the bubble of professional wrestling. So he could dance on the line of kayfabe, but he still knew how to keep it as, as, like, a, as like a character. Whereas like The Rock, he had full, absolute, total control over what he was saying. And he didn't feel like he was cutting wrestling promos. He just felt like he was just like, uh, almost like making fun of wrestling, uh, to me at least. Um, but, uh, but I felt like he did not have even the limits that CM Punk still had when he was at the top. Um, what I think is very important is that communication is like beyond anything, like the most important part of creating the uh, attachment to the fans 
uh, when you don't come across as genuine, people don't believe you. So there's like, for example, you have to go back to someone like a Dusty Rhodes. That guy's talking about pro wrestling as if it's real. Like he's talking about it as if it's real, and you you believe it. You get into that. But when you hear somebody come out there and they have like a cadence to their speech because they're almost like waiting for like the fans' reactions, like it doesn't make any sense. I think the what chance had a lot to do with that oh, over the years too. That's yeah. another thing they, I hate. Yeah. They they created this sort of cadence to how people speak when they do their promos. Um it it was really um it was really noticeable uh when the wrestlers started reacting to it, obviously. Um I don't know if there was I don't know if that was a good idea or not. Um but um I, I just I don't know. It 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 makes it difficult for the wrestlers to get over when somebody else who isn't even in the company is the one who's on, uh, like in the spotlight because the fans are making it about themselves. So it's like, now it's like stone cold. It's just stone cold. And it's been 10 years since stone cold was in a ring, you know, and you got, you know, CM Punk, who's the only one who's really getting to like stay outside of that. And then you got like, uh, I don't know who was big, like 10, you know, 10 years ago, not even five John years Cena. ago. Yeah. But John Cena could, John Cena could, keep his pace so that he kind of he had his own way of of diffusing the the what chance and again they were as part of the reason why like it didn't even want to watch is because like anytime somebody gets on the microphone you're just gonna hear what and it's still i believe i mean yeah, it still goes on i'm sure cool thing i just it's just remarkable but that kind of tells you like what the average person thinks of wrestling and it's it's just not it's just not what it was. You don't have those diehard fans of wrestling. You have these new fans that are like, uh, again, like you said earlier, it, they want to make it about them. And uh, it's unfortunate. But I think that at some point, it, 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 like, it has to get to the, to the, it has to come to the point where wrestling itself realizes what it is again and then tries to become that rather than uh, like just only try to be again inside what i call this 10 percent bubble you got to get out of it and you have to get average people back into the base and think of like this is something worth watching where it's like now it's just self-important like you're just doing this for your buddies you know that's and that's a bad bad thing to have when you go out as a wrestler i think it also it's spilled into the fans too I know what you mean because some people, it's like, oh, I want to have my kids watch wrestling and they love it too. But the problem mm -hmm. is they don't realize they're already jaded fans and their kids are yes. going to grow up jaded. <laughs> so it's yeah. like you're not doing the product any favors. Like you're not doing your kids any favor. No. Because at an and early I, age, you're already telling them, well, this is what you should like and what you shouldn't yeah. like. You know, John Cena's on TV. You shouldn't like him because dad doesn't like him. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I like, see, I, I would say like, just, uh, expose newer fans to the older stuff as soon as possible. Like if somebody's like gets into wrestling and they're like, you're like, oh yeah, you started watching wrestling. And like, well, you know what? If you got a network subscription, you know what? Maybe you should check out like mid South, like watch that and, and see how wrestling was. Uh, and then they'll get an idea of like, well, there's a purpose for everything that's done versus today. Where everything is like, 
in its own like little like microcosm like every single match like it doesn't doesn't feel like it contributes to a show whereas you're just watching these like individual segments and i think it also started with the brand split um i don't know that was a to me i always thought that was terrible i know they did that for like travel reasons and scheduling and they had too many wrestlers on the the roster and um but i think that in general that the the brand splitting making two world champions two tag team champions you know and having intercontinental on one show and us on one show and it's like you have all these talents that they could be held up for years on one brand and never wrestle the other someone on another brand but they're in the same company like right. you have like more like you you had you had longer programs back in the day with less people and now you have shorter programs with more people today um and it creates this like ADD effect where it's just like it has things have to they got to change like so much but I, honestly i think that's driven away a lot of the old fans who were in for a saga people watch television shows for like 8 years with like one storyline yeah, and they're very, very popular. I mean, think about like how like a like a Game of Thrones or something is. Um, if people could see wrestling as being presented like that, I think it would be more of a benefit. But they deliberately try to make wrestling be more um, uh, accessible, and I don't think it should be. But why not? Oh my. <laughs> there needs to be more mystique and less. Um, you know, less social media. Well, I mean, good luck with that one. I mean, nowadays no, I they're advertising. Uh, what, what's the what's Xavier Woods YouTube channel? Up, up, down, down. Is that what it's called? Yes. I mean, they're yep. they're trying to take control of those things. I mean, I so know yeah, my what buddy. What happened with him on that? Does he still get to do that? I'm pretty sure he does. Yes. The one uh, I know is, is it like done through WWE though, because I know all the private like Twitch and, and all like anything like that, they they've tried to to squash all that. Um, but I don't think that they're doing it for the reasons that I'm saying. I think that they just they don't want the wrestlers to build up a fan following outside of WWE that they could right. then fall back on if they leave. That's my my take on. It. I don't know anything about it other than it's happening. But well, Steve is nodding his head, so I'm assuming that's the general idea. Right? Okay. Because <laughs> it, it's it's actually kind of funny you bring that up because uh, when yeah. my buddy Mike, he brought up uh, what's her name, uh, Zelina Vega, she got let go, yeah. and it's it's very yeah. weird because uh, the story came out was because she had mentioned I guess on her Twitch channel that you know wrestling should be unionized. Yes. I mean, mind you, and huh. I think you know this. I mean, that's an argument that's been had for decades now. Yeah. I don't think she got so fired because of that. I'm pretty sure she got fired because she didn't want to give her rights to her Twitch channel, which she has a good following, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked I liked her. I thought she was very good. She definitely understood. She got it. I guess you could just say she understood the, the business and performance and, or, you know, having a character. And she definitely had a very unique look. Um, but that having been said... Um, if it is true that she did try to to get like a, a consensus for unionization, um, there's a lot more going on with that than just her. So I think it's a little bit of a of a danger zone. Uh, it's with the way the the wrestlers are treated as like being contracted uh, and not permanent employees. Like there's a real legal situation 
that's probably going to come up at some point and ultimately it will destroy the business and i know people can't understand that um but jesse ventura tried to do this back in the 80s yes. and supposedly hogan squashed it mm-hmm. um and that's, that's why i'm saying this uh Rip. this is an Jim argument Hogan. that's been going on for decades now yeah she didn't say anything yeah. new no no but yeah it's just again it's just in, in the in the time of of when it's when it is something that they have to look at legally they may want you know they may want to squash that uh that sentiment uh before it, it becomes a problem within the company and i i could definitely see that happening at this point um i don't know i don't i don't know how they could do it that's the, that's the problem is the way wwe is run and the way they treat their um their talent it it's not conducive to that you know it's maybe they maybe somehow wrestlers would have to try to get into like the actors uh union or something to that effect like i i don't really know but that's honestly that's that's really what it is like there shouldn't be a union in wwe these people are contracted they should be part of a a bigger um institution um it should not fall on on wwe to do that and then that's when the legal i think the legal issues will will ultimately tear everything apart so i don't know you want wrestling? You don't want wrestling. That's basically what it comes down to. Um, or I should say, like, nationally televised wrestling. Hey, from your experience, what's the percentage of the FGC that loves wrestling? At least 50%, I would say. I thought it was, I thought it was higher. Maybe about 80. Yeah, oh, I'm saying at least 50. At least 50. I really don't know. Um, I still think it, uh, I still think that wrestling has a stigma to it. Um, but obviously, the FGC is has a uh, more of a magnet for the the kind of um the kind of entertainment that wrestling presents that is it's just the age range all that all that factors into it um i don't know it'd be an interesting poll though that might be a that might be a good uh kpv poll thing <laughs> how many people or... within the community know you had a wrestling career um less and less as it goes on i still get like a, a random like message every now and then on, on like Facebook from somebody I, I don't know. Like there's people who just friend you in, in the community because like, Oh, this guy runs combat network. I'll friend him. Oh, this guy's at, you know, at a tournament, I'll, I'll, you know, but never speak to them. Uh, I, but I'll still get people every now and then who'll, who'll message me about it. They'll be like, I never knew you wrestled. And I'll be like, well, I don't think many people do. I never made it like a big deal. So, um, but, um, but I do love talking about it for sure. I've- I mean, we've been here, what now, what, Steve, like an hour and a half? Two hours. And we, we really like... haven't, even, like, haven't even scratched the surface of, like, um, like my actual, like, participation in the business. I've just been kind of, like, talking about, like, what I think of wrestling in general. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've met, like I said before, like, I was trying to think of, like, like, high, like, high-achieving wrestlers that I've, you know, been around and... Um, it's funny because like you, you go in, you go into the locker room as a kid, and you're you're told to behave a certain way because you don't want to like ruffle feathers and you want to be able to get work. You know, you don't want to make anybody mad. I was already making them mad by being there. Like I was a kid. <laughs> like literally, I'm a child, literally legal child in a locker room with grown men who have been doing something they just either enjoy or they want to do and it's like oh god now we have to have you know we got to find a way to squeeze this kid on so naturally you're just gonna like 
beat them up, you know, because that's, you know, I'm, I'm smaller, I'm, you know, younger, inexperienced. It just makes sense. Um, but what I did, though, when I broke in was I made sure that every person that I got in the ring with, no matter how, um, I mean, some people were took their liberties, you know, and then maybe they didn't know exactly how young we were because, you know, of the, you know, not like shoot matches, but like being put in a situation where like the promoter wants doesn't want these kids to come back, but the booker is still booking them. You know what I'm saying? So there's like a conflict internally because we can sell tickets and the promoter doesn't really care. Um, so I've been put in that situation before, but I always made sure that these guys were, they looked as good as they possibly could. And one by one, I would gain the respect of, you know, like all these older guys in the locker room. Uh, and it got, it made things easier. Uh, but ultimately, again, it comes down to the promoter and the booker, um, and I guess like I don't know. There's the, you can say like talent relations, because um, like the booker may just put the show together. They may not necessarily contact the talent. Um, so the, you know, when the three of them, so you got like the one guy who who's booking us because he wants us to to sell tickets and we're local, so it's a very easy booking. And then you got the promoter who's like, oh my god, I don't want these kids on my show. But then you have the guy who's putting the matches together and is like, what can I do with these kids? <laughs> like, it's this weird dynamic of, 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 um, you know, and then, but then you have the boys who can have a totally separate opinion and you can make your, you know, your, your friendships or whatever you want to call them. Um, you gotta save yeah, the girls like as I, well, just, man. Be careful. What's that? You gotta save the girls as well, man. Be careful. The girls, there weren't many back then. <laughs> There were not many like that. I mean, I, I, okay. Well, I, I don't know if everybody has a, a Missy Hyatt story, but I guess I can let oh this my one God. out. But, uh, um, Did you get any rats? I was. What's that? Did you get any rats? No, I stayed away from rats. Uh, I had a, one in. Oh, I can give you another one with Tito. Santana. I hope some people um, watching this understood <laughs> what the heck we're talking about. Okay, so um, Steve probably right, so doesn't. Man, I, he's got a. Uh, Steve's yeah. got a like a puzzle look. I'll explain it to him later. Well, I had a show. Uh, I was I was on a show. Uh, it was a tagging with one of my best friends from childhood. Uh, we were the Mixed Nuts. That was our tag team name. Uh, and uh, I'm in the locker room, and there's just like a few people hanging out. You know, it's just funny to like be like a kid, like in the locker room, getting changed, getting ready, and then like, oh, Bob Backlund just walked by. You know, or like, uh oh, the Public Enemy just came in you know but then it might be like some other like local indie guys who were just like oh hey man you know like what's up like because you, you know you just you're on the same level or whatever and then missy hyatt comes in and uh, missy hyatt is wearing just like a leopard print bra and like a little little vest shirt and uh she doesn't know who i am and she comes right up to me and she's like how how do my breasts look in this bra and i'm like i'm i'm a child <laughs> you know she has no idea and i'm just like they look great missy thanks you know <laughs> like nice meeting you like you know like that like that that kind of thing is like the 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 sort of thing you can experience as a uh as a young professional wrestler it's like that that's the kind of stuff that you uh you know don't expect to happen in life um you also don't expect uh psycho sid to you know let out a huge fart right next to you on the bench you know uh, you know, or get changed next to King Kong Bundy. These things, as a kid, you you don't think about this. You don't think this is ever going to happen. Uh, and to be at the age where you can think of it in that regard is like 
another level on top of that. Um, but um, and no, I, I there's some things that I that I witnessed. I I will not uh, discuss on a podcast. I will discuss in person if <laughs> if you like. But there's been you know some questionable things that happen here and there. Um, but um, you know, I, I, I like I said, I, I I've met a, a lot. I've met a lot of names, but never, I never really got to work with many of them because I was so young and they don't have that kind of like confidence to be like, oh yeah, we're going to put this kid in a, a, in a match with, um, you know, Sabu or something like that. <laughs> like I said, maybe, <laughs> maybe if you're new Jack, you might get that, you know, that, uh, would you have been willing to go through a table for Sabu if you had the chance? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did it. I did a few shows with Sabu. Uh, and I remember him talking. I don't know if you remember nine one one. You may, of course, but yeah. he's probably a lower, like, lower, higher achieving guy in in the business. But like most people today wouldn't really know who he is. But he was like, he was like a wrestling father to me. Uh, I took well, many nine one one for people who may not know. He was basically what Braun Strowman started off as. You know, he would come in, just choke slam the hell out of somebody, and then yeah. just get out. Yeah, he was a huge biker guy. He was like 6'6", 350 pounds, uh, but a, just a, a great guy. He would supply the ring for shows um, that I was doing at the time. But, um, yeah, uh, 911 and Sabu were uh, in the locker room. We're just hanging out. Again, it's just a funny thing to think, like, like I'm just hanging out with these guys, you know. Um and I just remember Sabu because there was an incident, I think, that just didn't happen where uh, like a fan got into a fight with one of the wrestlers, like like reaching over the guardrail. And it was like a, a pretty serious thing. Um, and I remember Sabu saying something to, to 911, how like if the fans reach over the guardrail, they're fair game. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, obviously yes. Sabu has a reputation on Twitter. You know, he says he says what he wants to. But, you know, that's that's the man. Like, that's what he does. Like, he, you know, he's. You know, and nine one one said, "Brother, you've been hit with one too many chairs. <laughs> you, can't, you can't touch the fans, like no matter what. Like you just can't do it." But, you know, um, but yeah, there's uh, you know, there's there's just like little little things here and there. You know, I remember like sitting on like a like a golf cart out out. I think it was a golf cart. It was some kind of transport vehicle out the out uh, behind Monmouth University with uh with balls mahoney just like hanging out with him just chilling um you know i i almost what is it i almost wrestled earthquake that was a big one john tenta a big almost yes john tenta it was a big almost i was booked to wrestle with in a handicap match with my partner in the mix nuts um <laughs> we were booked to wrestle john tenta this was in 1999 and i met him on the show before that I was only in a battle royal on that show, but uh, he came in, uh, and it's funny, like o- only ever seeing him on you know television as a kid to not realize like, how massive that guy was. Another one, you know, six foot six, and he was still in the upper threes, I think, at that point. Because when he came down and wait for Golga, um, for I guess I don't know for health or mobility reasons, but um, you know, he knew Iron Mike Sharp, and uh, so I was having a little little back and forth with him about Iron Mike and doing Iron Mike impressions and stuff. But then the uh, promoter, or promoter, the um, the booker had uh, set me and my partner up to work with him. But I don't know if he missed a flight or he no-showed or something like that happened. Uh, but it was unfortunate because I really would have, like, loved to have that, you know, that story to say, you know, I got, you know, got to work uh, John Tenta. But we instead wrestled 
like a local guy who was like 500 pounds. Like he was massive, oh, but he wasn't like tall. But he was just really just humongous. And I have that match. That match is uh, probably. If you upload that. I'm kind of curious to see that. This 500. Yeah, I have I have around. clips. Yeah, yeah, I have clip clips of it. I I know I have the match somewhere. I have uh, buried VHS tapes in my closets and stuff. Um, but that's yeah, that's another one that was an almost. And like Doink the Clown was always one like the real wow. Doink the Clown though, like not like you know. It's funny as my tag partner used to do a, a really good doink. He was one of those like there's in every promotion there's like the famous TV wrestling clown. He actually did a very very passable doink. Whereas like sometimes you see guys like they they're like not the right body type or like they just suck. You know they're just terrible. <laughs> it's kind of a hard thing to like be like saddled with like you're gonna be the guy who's playing this this wrestling character that we should not be doing on a show, but everybody does it. So nobody gets in trouble for it. Um, but yeah, he was very, very good at it. But anyway, I was supposed to was around like 20 years ago, probably um, didn't, you know, didn't pan out. I don't remember why. Um, and uh, Marty Jannetty was another one too. Uh, no show. I have too many of those too many, like where like I was booked, but then it fell through. Um, so the only other guys that I actually like were involved with like um, Tom Brandy, you know, because he's like a really big local guy in, in New Jersey. Right. In New Jersey, yeah. Some stuff with him. Uh, uh, Snitsky. Um, I had a little Snitsky? run in with him. Yeah. Isn't he an actor um, now? I don't know what he does now. I know. I, I know he he showed up to something recently, um, within like the last year or so, and he has a, like a massive, like bigger than a Wyatt beard. It's like yes. it's like ridiculous no, that, that beard is awesome i ain't gonna lie it's pretty yeah. freaking awesome it is <laughs> impressive um you know but um you know just uh there's just so many just like random just people because the way the nature of the business like you just have like a, a how close knit like is that community what's that how close knit is the wrestling community uh there's like factions and layers of the community that you, you'll see guys that were that came up in like the early 90s they're all still friends like i see them posting all the time like because i'm like friends with like a handful here and there and anytime one of them posts something i see all of them showing up in the feed as if like it's you know 25 years ago and they're all they're all still buddies so i'm sure that happens uh across the board um with indie guys i don't know how much it happens really with tv people i'm sure they create their bonds and they have like their you know the ones that they still, you know, keep in touch with and stuff. But I think it's it's probably harder because of the level of, of competition for work. It gets smaller and smaller as you get to the top. Um, but as uh, as uh, Hulk Hogan said, the more friends you have in wrestling, the less money you make. <laughs> We've been talking, what, now? Uh, two and a half hours? Wow. Is it two and a half hours, Steve? Jeez, man. We could talk. We could talk forever here, you and me. You gotta go. You gotta gotta take it home. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> and we didn't Pro even get to your Promoter gaming collection yet. <laughs> Promoter needs more time at the main event. Jump at the bell. Well, Steve <laughs> is the booker, so. Oh man, that was another good one. Yeah. All right, so a friend of mine, uh, he had a neck injury, and he was forced to retire early, but he was one of those people who just couldn't stay out of the ring, and he would keep coming back. Um, so uh, he he calls me up like wasted one night <laughs> and he's like, hey, he's like, uh, I just want to let you know I, I'm having 
my last match tomorrow. He's like, I, I'd really like for you to come see it, you know? And I was just like, uh, I was like, Hey, didn't you like retire last year and the year before that? And he's like, yeah, no, I really mean it though. This time I really, I'm really going to retire. He's like, I want you to come down. I was just like, okay. I was like, all right, I'll come, I'll come check it out. This was like an hour drive or something like that. Uh, and then the next day he calls me up at like noon and he's like, Hey, uh, uh, one of the guys in the match, cause it's a tag match. He's like, one of the guys in the match, uh, he had something happen. He, he can't make it. He's like, uh, can you be in the match? <laughs> and I'm like, really? No. I'm like, oh. I'm like, I, I would, I, I did, I did wind up doing it. And, and on normal, normal circumstances, I would love it. But it was for like a rival promotion for the company that I worked for at the time. So it was like, I really had to like, I took some heat for it, but I was just like honest about it uh, to the, to the promoter that I worked for. Anyway, the whole point of the story is uh, we, we have a tag match. And we're given something like 13 minutes, I think it was. So, like, when they when you go out for the show, like, they, they break down, you know, the matches. And if there's any mic work, like, what kind of bullet points, like, you're supposed to talk about. Um, but the match we had was, like, I think it was 13, which is a pretty good amount of time. Uh, and then, right before we went out, the the promoter came up to us and said, we have, he's like, you guys, uh, you guys got to take it down to, like, three. And we're like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, uh, we we uh, we're running late on the show. He's like, yeah, you guys only got three minutes. It's like we already went over everything. We have this thirteen minute match <laughs> like set. You know, we all know each other. The four of us are go. We all go back. You know, at the time, ten years. And we all kind of like looked at each other and we're like, are we ever going to work for them again? Are we ever going to come back? Are we ever going to work for this promotion again? <laughs> and we're all just like, one guy was just one guy was like, uh, I don't know, like I. I might, you know, like, do we, do we do it though? Do we just do the match? And we did, we just did the full 13 minute match. And, and the guy that was booking us, that was one of our buddies was like, dude, he's like, I had to like hold the promoter in his chair. Cause he was going to get in the ring and kick you guys out of the ring, like right in the middle of the match. Cause we just kept on just going with it. We just ran our, our full thing. But that's, that's one of the things that unfortunately you have to deal with is that, you know, you, you can put all this effort out. I mean, effort, you know, whatever you come up with a, you know, with a match for the night and you, you kind of got it in your head, like what you want to do. And like, it's hard to just kind of change gears like that and say, oops, you got to cut out 10 minutes of your match. Normally you just do it. You just suck it up and you're like, all right, well, whatever. But it was because this guy was retiring. We decided right. we're going to, we're just going to do it. And did I ever talk to anybody from that promotion again? No. Did I care? No. But is that a good attitude to have? No. No. <laughs> What's the longest match but, you've ever done? Uh, the longest singles match, maybe, maybe like 16, 17 minutes. Never, I, I never really had the opportunity to do any kind of like, like Broadway type, you know, I, I mean, I, I did, uh, let's see, we did a, like a Royal Rumble once that turned into a ladder match. It was very, like, very like rudimentary. I did post that match actually, maybe like a year or two ago, um, and I was number one in the Royal Rumble. And I think we only did like one minute increments of like 20 people. So it was like 20 minutes of the Royal Rumble and then like another 10 minutes of the match. So that was like a half right. hour, I guess you could say, where I was actually out there, you know, wrestling consistently for a half hour. Um, but the thing is, like doing like a match for like a half hour, you know, it's different than like at wrestling school. Like wrestling school, we, we would just go. I and mean, we just go for hours and hours and hours. Like you, you build up your wrestling cardio that way. Um, but it doesn't always translate. Um, but yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know if anybody really wants to see, you know, 20 minute bros, broadways with shock. <laughs> what was the craziest spot you've ever been part of? <sighs> craziest spots. Um, honestly, like, I, I don't know if I ever really like, like stuck my neck out in the sense of like, did something that was like dangerous. Um, but, um, no, I, nothing. I don't think really anything noteworthy, nothing like a, like a multi-table, like ladders, like to the outside, nothing, nothing like that. And I think that was partially cause like, I just didn't, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> like I was, you know, I, I, I was content enough with putting on like a solid, consistent match that seemed real. I guess you could say like, it's like physical, um, you know, and I let the, the other guys like, I mean, I know guys doing superplex onto like Legos and stuff like that. Like, come on, like, the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like superplexes it's onto, not, you know, um, fluorescent light bulbs. Yeah. No, never, never anything like that. Um, I did get like fireballs in the face, Oh, um, Singapore cane matches, things like that. Nothing too crazy. Uh, I de I definitely never wanted to get hit by Balls Mahoney because they would be like, bef like with the chair because that was his thing. Uh, they they would literally be like a show of hands. Like if there was say like there was a battle royal on the show, it'd be like who wants to get hit by balls tonight? And I can't believe anybody ever raised their hand because you weren't getting paid a lot. Number one, <laughs> um, you know, but um. But that was rough. Like, my God, he could swing that chair. That was ridiculous. Hmm. Um, I hit a Mickey Mouse doll with a chair once. That was... Uh, <laughs> that... <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, not Like I said, not, nothing too crazy. I don't know. I, I can't, like... I mean, just, just me getting in the ring was probably dangerous enough. If you could um, pick one... To have more success then, would it be your gaming career or your wrestling career? Mm, paradoxically, wrestling. <laughs> Back That's what we're talking earlier, about, right? Wrestling. But today, I mean, if I if I had like a gaming uh, media empire type thing going on, like uh, that'd be cool. Is that is that for me? Uh, <laughs> my content my content is like everyone else's content like or, or i should say like everyone else's content is my content i all i do is run replays <laughs> i will say that um, thing though that high score challenge you uh james yeah. Nitton, and then ronnie I, are going through it's pretty awesome i really want to like tighten that up because that was something that like knit kind of just like threw out there one day and we just kind of ran with it and I, I, all of a sudden, I was just like, "Wait a second. I was like, "There's no, there's no organization to this. This is never gonna like take off. It's just gonna be me, him, and Jimmy. Just you know." And then all of a sudden, Rodney like jumped in, and then like a couple other people were like, "Oh yeah, we're like kind of like Mike Metroid, I think, wants to jump in on it a little bit." Uh, I don't know. I, I would like to create like a list of games and then a set of rules, and maybe make like a sign up list. Uh, and get people in and you know just just keep posting high scores i can even add it like to like combat network or something i could make like a a thing on there for for people to post their high scores actually has like a real like like presence to it you know but um yeah that would be cool but do you have it definitely for wrestling do you have wrestling, any shout outs uh, to any old wrestling contacts that may be watching this you know you want to thank anybody for what you were able to at least accomplish in the wrestling community <clears throat> 
Um, it's a shame, like any of the people that I would think that I would like to uh, kind of like not necessarily burn bridges with, but like you just kind of like grow apart and, you know, but there's people who did things for you, uh, like at least giving you opportunities. Um, but um, there's some people maybe that don't necessarily get the credit. Like, uh, for example, there was a, a promoter that I worked for, uh, Joe Panzerino, uh, Dapper Johnny Falco, who has absolutely one of like the worst reputations in New Jersey that there is. But that guy gave me every chance that I deserved if you want to say that, uh, to, to be able to go out there and do what I like doing. Um, and he says things that maybe he doesn't mean sometimes. Uh, he's, you know, a businessman first, uh, you know, a carny, you know, carnival uh, wrestling promoter second. Uh, but, you know, I, I worked for him for a while until he eventually bowed out. And uh, I do appreciate him. Again, I, he was one of the first people I talked to. Uh, when I was, you know, a teenager, uh, and he told me, you know, get some experience, find a wrestling school, and then, you know, come back to me and we'll, we'll see. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so yeah, if anybody, you know, you know, he's one of the, the main reasons why I stuck around so much, even for, you know, what some people would consider he's your typical wrestling promoter. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of boys out there that, you know, all the guys that you know stuck around and everybody that helped me create like a, a semblance of how to put on a match um you know it's hard to just it's hard to come up with one because i met so many people over the years but uh <clears throat> um i don't know wish i could say hi to iron mike sharp again for sure man he's been gone for about five years now he passed yes. away did um, he get into the yeah. the Lee hall of fame no no i don't know i I, I would like to see him one day, you know, but um, I don't know. I, I know that they they did want to make some, uh, what's it called, uh, like, Legends figure of him at some point. It was it was years ago at this point, but um, uh, so they definitely had, like, some kind of, uh, like, a intent to, to, like, kind of bring him, like, back into, like, this, that little uh what's it called like a uh, nostalgia thing that they were running for a while uh with like the really like older wrestlers um but i, I don't know if that's i don't know if that's ever gonna happen but we'll see hey listen man i want to thank you for your time really appreciate it. it was another fun episode thank you for a return episode with us and uh no keep in contact please because guys we yeah. haven't even touched upon his gaming collection oh yeah that's another facet of this man's life what was that? I could still go on about wrestling for like another three hours easily. Oh, no, I know I could. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if our audience uh -huh. would want to stick with us, you know? Nah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, though. Uh, hopefully, by the time we do that, I'll have a significant addition to the collection, but it's still going strong. Kind of hey, listen, man. 16, I sold you a lot of games. games already. Wait, how many games you got? Um, I'm sorry. I'm up to about 1,600 right now. 1,600 game, guys. And he's oh, uh, it's just going to keep going, some, going, and going. This is some right back here. This is just like a pile of relatively complete Genesis games. There's another stack behind the one that you see there. Um, and then there's like some I think there's like some doubles over here. I don't know if you can see. There's like a Nintendo down over here. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. And then I got like I got the uh, the main Nintendo collection 
going over here. You can get oh, there you are, right? Hey, how's it going? So, yeah. Everybody got jealous, but of course, stay tuned because yeah. that is going to be another episode. Mm-hmm. Again, we're highlighting yeah. people from the FGC and Shock wrestler, sure. game collector. Oh, you like that guy right there? Of course, that's my favorite <laughs> RPG. Yep. Then there's another one right there. <laughs> oh, so, trust yeah, we me, we're going to we're, we're get into we it because into that's that. a that's a bug I've been meaning to talk to somebody about. Yeah. Well, guys, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Please follow us on Twitter. Go on YouTube. Follow. Subscribe to the channel. This is Shock. I'm KPB Raphael. And thank you very much, guys. Stay tuned for more episodes and have a good night. Thanks, Shock. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.